there are original instructions for everything on this earth. As you said, the plant that knows how to reach for the sun, a uh, predator that knows who to go after. And that includes us as human beings. Mm-hmm. And that we do have a, un- a unique set of original instructions. Yeah. And again, back to this idea of a vision, you know, that soul is what knows our vision, our purpose, that they, that's the great adventure of life is, yeah. man, what are mine? And I'm thinking of all those listeners out there and just like everybody Women, men, people of all gender, everything. You've all got something. There, There is an original instruction for you out there. And I, that's my uh, such a big part of my message, Paul, that I really want people to mm. feel, you know, more than here to feel is like there is something that's yours. And if you haven't found that, it's available. You know, it is possible. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Jack. Today's guest is Tim Corcoran. Tim is the founder of Purpose Mountain, where he offers nature-based purpose guidance to support people with a love for wild nature who feel a deep yearning and a burning desire to discover their purpose. He leads wilderness vision quests and holistic rites of passage, guiding people on the journey of earth-based soul initiation. Tim also serves as the co-director of Twin Eagles Wilderness School, an organization he co-founded with his wife, Janine Tidwell, in Sandpoint, Idaho in 2005. It's dedicated to facilitating deep nature connection, mentoring, cultural restoration, and inner tracking. Tim has dedicated his life to consciously furthering this vision of living in balance with the earth, community, family, and self, healing the cultural rift between the mainstream and indigenous cultures, transformational consciousness work, the spiritual journey, ancestral work, Deep nature connection, the sacred hunt, family and health are all deep commitments in his life. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind and to live their dreams. A big thank you to our sponsors, Bioptimizers, Organifi, Paleo Valley, and our newest sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products that they produce. Today, Paul and Tim are talking about man and nature. Just to kind of lay the foundation for everybody to get a sense of who you are and how you got into all this and get some of your background. So could you share like your developmental story and and what ultimately led you to being the guy you are and doing happy to, uh, again, it's, it's a real honor to hear, to sit with you here in your home. And thanks for, for hosting me and my son as well. And my, my, my 13 year old is out romping around the, uh, the property here. Yep. Watching out for rattlesnakes. Watching out for rattlesnakes. Exactly. Uh, so I'm 49. Yeah. I grew up in the eighties. Uh-huh. And uh, growing up, we were actually just talking about this. I, I grew up, uh, I was always a very sensitive boy. Yeah. Emotionally sensitive, spiritually sensitive, and very full of, of chi, of mm. life energy, yeah. of vital life energy, mm-hmm. which was a lot for a parent, right? Now, yes, now I grew up, as, me, as you know, know <laughs> I've got two of them, so yeah. I know as well, yes. now on the other side. Yeah. Uh, so growing up, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a little town called South Bend, Indiana, home, mm. home of Notre Dame football. And, yeah. and being a sensitive, wild boy full of life, um, you know, back in those days in the 80s, we had the run of the woods. I, I was able to run wild and free mm. uh, through the woods and through my imagination and, and, and have, uh, in, in many ways, a beautiful, beautiful childhood. Mm. 
Um, but there were a couple of key elements that happened early on in my development that really set me on a certain traje- the tra- trajectory that I'm on today. Um, one was um, my sensitivity opened me up to a deep connection with the natural world that I, I didn't realize, you know, as a kid, I didn't realize anything special was happening. Mm-hmm. But there was a, a, a spiritual connection with the natural world that was unfolding for me early on. And simultaneously, uh, being a sensitive kid, a sensitive boy in particular, I struggled socially, yeah. right? So I faced some difficulties early on. I faced bullying in school. I faced, uh, my parents got divorced when I was, I don't know, 15, 16. Mm, that's always painful. Yeah. And there was, there was some abuse in there also early on. Yeah. So with these difficult experiences that at the time, you know, I just wanted to, what, compartmentalize them and throw them away. Mm. Um, but they had an impact on my, well, on my personal mythology, although I certainly wouldn't have called it that at the time. No, yeah, but well, we, yeah, we're going to talk we're about get, that. Which we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, and that, that had an impact on my self-esteem and my self-image, my self-worth. Mm-hmm. Now, simultaneously with the connection with nature and the sensitivity, nature became the place that I went to for peace, yeah. for connection, for, for love. That's right? where I had to go to get away from everybody. Yeah, exactly. I found the house to be a dangerous place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The house, the school, the, yeah. my buddy's place, all of it, right? Yeah. So, that, and, and I, I, that became a track, a pathway for me that I walked for and have continued to walk for a lot of years. Mm. We, when I was six, my dad took us on a, uh, I've got an older sister, two younger brothers, mom and dad. And we went on a family vacation out West and, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, went up to the Badlands of South Dakota and Grand Canyon, toured the whole, all the Western states one summer when I was just a little guy. And something happened to my spirit on that trip. Mm. Something came alive inside mm. of me and, um, and although I, we didn't meet any uh, Native American people, uh, any, any teachers or elders or tribes or anything, the, the, I, re- I remember being a boy looking out. I think we were in South Dakota, the Badlands, and looking out. And I, and I remember seeing some teepees and asking my dad, is that where the, where, where, where the Native American, where Indians live? Of course, I, had, I knew nothing. I was, had the whole thing romanticized and idealized. But he said, yeah, yeah, Timmy, that is. And... On a deep level, it was a little seed, just a tiny little seed, mm-hmm. right, Paul, that, that wound up growing into something big. And so fast forward through my teen years, struggled through the teen years. Now I'm 18, college, uh, following the rules of society and you know what, you're, what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffocating. <laughs> suffocating. I, I was a really smart kid too, right? Yeah. So very good grades, um, advancing through academics pretty quickly. But also ostracized for that, right, mm-hmm. by my peers. Yeah. So about midway through college, um, I had a big awakening where I realized, okay, this is this is this path is not going to work for me. I'm not going to be the guy who sits in front of a computer terminal in a cubicle for the next sixty years yeah. and waste my life away. This is not happening. No. And, and yet that's where things were headed. Yeah. And so I knew I was at a choice point. I said, okay, well, what do I do? Do I you know, do I drop out of college and make my own way? I, I think I was maybe a junior at this point. And what helped me was a professor, Professor Foley, Vern Foley, never forget this guy, one quarter blood, uh, Oglala Lakota, mm. teaching uh, 
uh, an introduction to shamanism. Oh, wow. At, a, at Purdue University, conservative Midwest University, disguised as an advanced history class. So it was like <laughs> History 514, but really it was an intro to shamanism. Thank God a real professor exists yes, out there. Yes, introduced me to ideas of synchronicity, mm, to wow. mitakuye oyasin, that we are all related. Mm. Um, and it really opened things up for me. It really, it really brought me alive in a way I had never quite felt before. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was something here. Soul speak. Yes. It te- te- there was a, a connection in the soul. So what happened was I decided to stick with college. I was like, well, I'll get the degree just to say that I've got it. What was your study? Uh, computer science. Oh, actually, oh, a whole other world. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right? Totally the opposite of you. Uh, that happened to that happened to come easy for me, and that was my dad's path. My dad was a computer guy back back before it was a, a popular thing. So I get the degree. The day after I graduate college, I said, "I'm setting out, man." So I I'll never forget this. I think I drove forty hours straight. Wow. From uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, out to a friend who was living on the Navajo Indian Reservation, Northeast Arizona. And I connected with her and, and eventually found my way in with the Navajo people. I, I knew in my heart that the First Nations people of our continent here had, had something, had a connection to the earth, to spirit that I needed personally yeah. and that I believed was medicine for our times. I mean, at that point, I was like, are you kidding me? The, 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 the American dream Two and a half kids, white picket fence, dog and a cat, divorced family. You know, it, it's a pipe dream. Tons of alcohol, it's alcoholism. You know, all kinds of unconsciousness. This is not working. It didn't work for me growing up, and I, I need something else. Yeah. And so those early seeds of that trip out west were starting to to, to blossom. Blossom, yeah. But I had a big stint there, probably two years on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Yeah. I was really looking for this earth based. Uh, connection to spirit that was rooted in the earth mm-hmm. and not something floating out there, mm-hmm. which was so common otherwise. Uh, and that was also a practical spirituality that was, that was rooted in your basic phys- the five senses and the sensory experience of connecting with, with this earth that offered another, really another worldview and certainly another path forward. It's almost what you're describing would almost fall into the category of nature mysticism, mm-hmm. you know, a grounded, oh, yeah. a grounded spirituality. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely what I was searching for. Now, at the time, I, <clears throat> I was also touring around. I did some touring around in the West. A whole other side story. I uh, met my wife in Ashland, Oregon, which I understand where, is where your mom lives. Yeah. We had a whole amazing encounter, spiritual encounter, falling in love and, um, Oh my gosh! I mean, a true, truly, my soulmate. This is '96, mm-hmm. right? We we connected, and uh, after about a year or so, it was apparent that this is this is the love of my life. Well, yeah. she had a whole thing going in Ashland, wasn't ready to move down to the Indian Reservation in, in Arizona, so I I, uh, I I left. What I found on the Navajo Reservation was um, there there was these people who were who were very much still connected to the earth, but um, uh, the, all the effects of colonialism and, and, and the genocide were, were rampant. And yeah. so many of the Navajo at that point, uh, of course, were just l- working to live a modern life. And there were little pockets of people living traditional, traditionally mm-hmm. connected to the earth. And, and that was still difficult for me to access at the time. Understandably so, you know, they, they had, they had a lot of mistrust for white folks. Yeah. Um, 
Understandably so. <laughs> yeah, understandably so. So, so I'd made some important connections, and there's a whole more story there, but I'm going to fast forward through it. Janine and I, my wife now, uh, moved to, we hadn't, weren't married yet, but we moved down to Taos, New Mexico, mm. and to start, to start together in our lives. And at that time, uh, a, an old college buddy sent me a book, and it was, the book was The Quest by Tom Brown Jr. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in it, he introduced two things that really caught my spirit. Uh, one, he introduced the idea of wilderness survival, that it's possible for a human being to get all of their basic physical needs met directly from the earth mm-hmm. without telecommunication systems and grocery stores and roadways and this whole crazy scenario. Now, as a 23, 24-year-old, that touched something. It touched the archetype of provider inside mm-hmm. of me. Like, wow, I can be responsible for my own life. And how is it that I've made it to 23, 24 years old and not had a proficient relationship with providing for my own needs? Yeah, well, that's it, a big problem today. Yeah, it didn't feel right. It was like, I am not, I didn't feel like I was in integrity with myself as a human being on planet Earth, a young adult, that I was still so dependent on the matrix, on the system. Mm-hmm. So that caught my attention. Yeah. That, and then on the spiritual side, Paul, uh, he spoke about vision. Mm. He spoke about, and his teacher, grandfather Stockingwolf, about the vision quest mm. and this idea that as human beings, we are each here with a spiritual purpose, a vision, and that the grand adventure of life is to discover what that is and live it. And that set me on fire. I was like, okay. This is something I can get behind. This is a, a possibility that that I want. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I had this fire, this burning desire in my heart that this was, yeah, this was 99. And so we went out, we found his school, we did some classes, five, got involved with a wilderness school starting up in Vermont. Um, along the way, you know, trained in wilderness survival, animal tracking, medicinal, edible plants, bird language, the language of the forest, um, all kinds of naturalist skills, and mentoring. Mm. I found that, you know, this, cu- this culture of mentoring, that w- when you find people who live close to the earth, they hold mentoring as a core value, and it's expressed regularly, mm-hmm. right, as a way of not just passing on survival information, but of drawing out the greatness of each individual in the community. And yeah. that was something that was sorely missing, of course. Still is. Still is. It's worse. But boy, oh boy, did that do something for me. Yeah, I'm glad it did, because I imagine, God, how many thousands of people have you probably had come through your yeah, training program? Over, over 10,000 at this point. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's enough to fertilize the populace a bit, you know? We need... That's, More that's what we're working like on. A, that's like, what we're yeah. working on. Well, that's why I'm glad to have you on the podcast. I'm hoping lots of people that listen come join your camps. What were you doing to feed yourself before you found your flow and started making a living doing what you do now? Oh, we were scraping by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were, I mean, I, I've always been a very passionately motivated individual, uh, motivated by my passions. So we lived very meagerly. Uh, we'd have little side jobs here and there, made a little money. Uh, working as instructors at the, at the wilderness school, but we hadn't hadn't really put the whole thing together yet. But I, I knew, Paul, that I wanted to invest in myself. I knew this was my life path. Yeah, I knew that I needed to go out there and train in deep nature connection. Um, I did enact uh, a wilderness vision quest: four days fasting, alone in nature, with the singular intention of 
okay, spirit, why am I here? Yeah. You show me. Um, let me be found by my calling. Mm-hmm. I, I am here. I'm offering myself up. Um, and during that time, I it was an incredible experience, and I saw that I would get married to Janine. I saw we would have two sons, which we now have, River and Forrest, who are now 13 and 16. I saw that we would start a wilderness school, which we did. That's Twin Eagles. That was 2005. And I also saw that eventually I would tr- actually transcend that work and help people directly on their own deep healing journey, mm. as well as initiating uh, visionary development, helping others connect with their vision and calling and purpose in life, which I now do in my second organization, that's Purpose Mountain. The important part there is that the healing aspect is often important to address because the wounds serve often as blocking factors to the arising of one's vision. I believe the soul's always giving us guidance. Yes. But if you're too entangled in your scar tissue, mm-hmm. then you become reflexively conditioned to look for what you don't want. Yes. You're always yes. you know, looking for anything that might hurt you based on, as what Jung would call, we get driven by our complexes instead of being connected to our soul. And so I think, you know, from my work over the years with countless people with these kinds of issues going on, um, a lot of them are like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know why I'm, you know, all these big questions, right? Why am I here? What am I going to do for a living? I'm not happy. I found that the process of healing the wounds that a person's carrying is actually a process of peeling the layers of the onion. Yes. Because if you're not willing to do the work to heal yourself, you're probably not going to be capable of carrying the responsibility and exactly. the, um, you know, uh, you know, your, your, your life path is what I feel to be a labor of love. Oh yeah. But love oh, yeah. always comes with responsibility and our first responsibility is to ourselves and part of the problem that I've run into a million times is that not only the Abrahamic religions, but a lot of world religions teach you to negate the self yeah. and to be of service to others, which usually means be in service to some organization that has ideas for what they want you to do, not what you want to do, right. be it the church or otherwise, or government, you know, the deal. So... I found that the first step to a vision quest is to do the work to love and respect yourself enough to do your healing work, to learn to manage your mind, to you know look into your own what's classically called the shadow and see where you're creating your own demons and projecting them out into the world. And I find that oftentimes that that healing process actually spontaneously wakes people up. It can you know, I know you'll know of this. I can't remember the book. I've got it in my library. But there's a group of psychologists in New York who were doing research on ADD, ADHD, and behavioral disorders. And they started taking kids out on field trips into the forest, largely. I think it was in upstate New York where they were doing this. And they found that, I think they were, they found that one field trip a week where they let the kids just run loose in nature for three hours, knocked out almost all of oh, those yeah. disorders. 
Well, and even the idea that the ADD or ADHD is a disorder. Frankly, I'm sure if I were tested, I, I would I would test positive on that. Yeah. And I was a handful to have inside of a building or in the home or a schoolroom. But I'll tell you what, um, outside, the, yeah, those same kids. I get tons of those kids coming yeah. through our school. And what we have labeled as a disorder in the classroom, yeah. you take those kids outside. They're the ones, Paul, yeah. that are mapping in three dimensions everything yeah. going on. They know the bullfrogs down in the water. They see the hawk yeah. and the and the songbirds up in the sky and the trees. They've got the insects yeah. figured out. I mean, they are they're, they've got this three dimensional five sensory awareness mm-hmm. going on. And that same disorder is actually now a gift. Well, I tell people all the time, don't ever use a label like that because what you're describing is your own unique way re- of relating. Yes. And I think a big part of the problem is is that, you know, especially in, I found a lot of the people that have these labels are actually more intelligent children. Uh-huh. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're like quite turned on. Yes. But I think part of the problem is, is that our entire social structure our, and our education structure is a very linear system. Yes. And narrow. And narrow and linear, but these kids really are parallel processors. Yes. You know, like for those that understand an electric circuit, a series circuit, the energy runs from light bulb to light bulb on your Christmas tree, but in parallel, it can run in multiple directions at once. So if a light bulb burns out, it doesn't kill the whole chain. Yeah. But in a series system, if one bulb goes out, all of them go out. So we're educated, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you can't do that. You, You get... Somebody like you or like me when I was a kid, I was very much the same way. And my my son, Mon, is very that way. Yes. You you put him in a classroom situation and he just starts to vibrate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, you, you let him go outside and he's happy as a clam. And he one minute he's fishing and then he says, okay, now I want to go climb that rock. And then I want to go, you know, work with mommy in the greenhouse. And mm-hmm. So my point is that I think a lot of the kids that are getting these labels are not only being stuffed into rooms full of electromagnetic pollution and bad lighting. And I mean, blocking a kid into a desk and making oh. them memorize shit. That's just oh. like torturing somebody. Totally. I hate it. I left school. Yeah. I only yeah. did the ninth grade. I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to tell you about Wild Pastures' amazing meat delivery service. They have beef, chicken, pork, and wild-caught fish. My family and I have been enjoying their meat for quite some time now, and I just couldn't wait to tell you about it any longer. We had an amazing barbecue this weekend, and I'm still high off the meat. And they use a whole network of regenerative farms, which means that you're getting a different ecosystem from each farm, which means a different nutritional profile, which means nutritional diversity, which means health and vitality, which is exactly what we need right now in the world for ourselves and our families so we can all make a difference in the world. And Matt Smith's going to tell us more about this amazing company, Wild Pastures, about their offering and how you can get it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much, Paul. And I'm excited to tell your listeners what they can get today and how we can help them out. So, you know, as you know, pastured meats are crazy expensive. And so our goal with Wild Pastures is to tap into this network of regenerative farmers and to finally create the solution of where we can get the highest quality meats delivered straight to your door for the most affordable prices around. And so we're on average seeing that we are 40% cheaper than any other delivery option out there. And that our customers have reportedly saved, on average, $1,000 on their grocery bill from meat alone. And so Wild Pastures is a regenerative meat delivery service that is solving this problem. 
and you can get 100% grass-fed and finished as well as pasture-raised pork and poultry and wild-caught seafood from Alaska delivered straight to your door. So it's far more convenient. It's far more environmentally friendly because we're using regenerative farms entirely. We don't use feedlots ever. So the, the nutrition profiles are way better. You can definitely taste the difference. I know we were talking about this on our uh, just before we hopped on, you having a Father's Day barbecue and, and how incredible the pasture-raised chicken and beef short ribs were. And you can really taste the difference, right? I'm and still so, high. <laughs> and so our goal is to remove the roadblock from people's minds that if they want to eat healthy, it's too expensive. And so that's where Wild Pastures comes in is we are delivering with our own fleets of trucks whenever possible. We haven't raised our meat prices in over three years at this point. And we're really just creating convenience for the consumer and kind of being the high tide that rises all ships. If we can opt more people into a system like this, the cost stays down for everybody. And so there is a myriad of benefits that go into that. And so today, if your listeners want to try Wild Pastures and taste the difference and experience what it's like, go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul Check or click the link in the show notes and save 20% off for life, plus get free shipping for life. Plus, get $15 off your first box. That's a mind-blowing deal. I can't even <laughs> imagine. I mean, I've never heard of an offer like that. And, you know, most people will hear an offer like that and think, this can't be that good. But I'm telling you, it's not, it's not only that good, it's really good. Or I would not be sharing this on my podcast. I think everybody needs to get a hold of Wild Pastures for their family, for their vitality, for their longevity, and for the future of this planet. So thank you guys very much. So Matt, Matt, just repeat the website again. Sure. Just go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul check or visit the link in the show notes and get 20% off for life plus free shipping for life plus $15 off your first box so you can try it. You'll be glad you did. I had really low self-esteem till maybe 25 years old. And interestingly for me, um, I my healing journey did not come first. I really felt that visionary call early on and did the vision quest. And it was post-vision quest for me that my deep inner healing journey really began. Um, and I'll tell you what, and it was it was through a culture that honored the natural world, right? This deep nature connection mentoring culture that really saved my life. Yeah. Wow, all these things that I thought were curses are actually gifts. Mm-hmm. I had, yeah, all all these unique qualities about myself had a positive uh, outlet for expression, and and through that uh, that healing, um, as you said, it, it really opened me up to greater and greater dimensions of my gifts yeah. and, uh, and of my capacity to to really live my vision fully. Yeah, I see that most folks t- these days. And and I think this is even archetypally true most of the time. You know, I'm careful not to say all of the time because there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. But I, I do see that a lot of folks need to start on their healing work first mm-hmm. um, because it really can block discovery of vision. But not always. You know, there there mm-hmm. are those exceptions. Many of the vision quests that the natives used included plant medicines. So, oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's some that do it without, and some that do it with, and. I think one of the reasons we're having a resurgence of plant medicines is because they can actually, in many ways, induce a vision quest. Mm. And they also are very powerful for bringing any trauma up into the conscious mind. So a person 
that's one of the challenges of them if you don't have a skilled guide because you can oh, yeah. you can meet the devil and think it's the <laughs> devil but not realize it's it's you it's you <laughs> and exactly. you got to learn to work with that devil that's why yeah. I say the devil you know is always better than the devil you don't yeah, know uh-huh. yes but my point being is I think that I think you know we're in the third wave of the psychedelic revival and each of them has come when society and the world was under a lot of stress and so I think. Right now, a lot of people are actually not consciously thinking they're doing plant medicines to heal, but thinking they're going to do it because it's in vogue or their friends right. are doing it right. or something yeah. maybe deeper calling them, but it ultimately triggers off what can be both a healing experience and a vision quest. Yes. Yeah. Especially if it's done properly. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's good for our listeners to, one of the ways I distinguish the healing journey from the visionary developmental journey is the healing journey is about the past. The healing journey is about coming to peace with all of that which has unfolded in my life that I'm not at peace with. Yeah. You know, and I know for me, I mean, there was a lot. I had to process that trauma. I had to process that low self-esteem. I had to process my parents' divorce. That, that was some big stuff. It, yeah. it, it's not, not an overnight journey. No, and you can't go too fast on that. No, no, know? no. There, there's, there's a certain, certain pace that, that the, the heart moves at. Yeah. Whereas the visionary development um, journey is all about the future. It's yeah. all about what is my vision, beautiful vision, a more beautiful vision for tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, f- for, for my life, for my family's life, for my community's life, for my Earth's life. Right, and so we have past versus future, and I think that's an important distinction. There's people who can you can get lost in either of those. Oh hell yeah, I right? call that. I have terms for that because yes, it's so yeah, common. me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you know, most people are so caught in the past. I I say you are pasteurizing yourself, uh, and you know, pasteurization means all enzyme activity has ceased, so you now have dead food. Yes. So my analogy is, you, uh, whenever you're it. living in the past, you're pasteurizing. You're cooking yourself into a death situation. Yes. And you're not yes. living in the present. And if you're living in the future, but you're not present now, yep. you're futurizing yourself. Yes, so, that, that can be equally dangerous. Yes, so I, I, yes. I basically see that there's three people, kinds of people, pasteurizers, futurizers, and people that are present. Actually right here. And yeah. the present one is hard to get a hold of, but right. I think the kinds of schools you operate, this is why I teach rock stacking uh-huh. and doing other things with rocks, such as conditioning and uh, making geometrical patterns on the ground or just doing mixes with rocks and and wood and flowers and and you know just kind of being artistic sure but the point being is you can get freaking hurt mm-hmm. in those rocks you saw my rocks i mean yep. i'm moving yep. rocks that are 400 pounds out there sure and there's one wrong move and you get a visit from the pain teacher or you yes. get killed you know broken bones i've smashed fingers like grapes oh and yeah oh. the point i'm making is I bring people into that environment because you have to be 100% present in the now. Yes. And if you're not, someone's going to get hurt. Yes. And it's probably going to be you. Perfect. And I take people through a shamanic ceremony in the beginning to harmonize everybody by making music together. And I keep going till the whole group is completely in harmony. Then we begin. So cool. Well, there's so many parallels between your work and mine. I mean, when I p- take people on the journey of deep nature connection, uh, it's all about connecting. It starts off just through the five senses. Yeah. Right. And of course, our modern world has assaulted our five senses and continues to in greater and greater, more obscene and more obscene ways. 
But when we go out into the natural world, um, the earth is, is here for us. It's our birthright. And one of the first things that we've got to pay attention to are the hazards, yeah. right? Like my son, Forrest, and I, we're staying at this cool Airbnb down halfway between here and San Diego. And, and it's got 10 acres. And so we're, uh, you know, uh, exploring around out there. Now, you guys have got down here, you've got poison oak, mm-hmm. right? Which I'm not familiar with. Up in Idaho, we've got poison ivy, but not poison. Yeah. And it looks different. It grows taller here. And the leaves look a little different. And both of them hurt. <laughs> they both hurt. And, and so as we're walking around, what's the first thing on, on my son and my's mind? Okay, where, where's the poison oak? Yeah. You know, and so what does that do? It brings our awareness into our body, brings us into the present moment, mm-hmm. and our eyes are on alert. And my skin is on alert. I can, I've actually developed a sensitivity to it um, that I can actually feel it from, I don't know, six feet or so yeah. away. I'll, my skin will start, I'll, I'll get a little, it's like a minor version of the, of the classic PI poison ivy itch. I'll feel that, like a little mini version of it. Well, they're all sending out their subtle yes. energy frequencies. They've yes. all got energy bodies. That's how I track rattlesnakes. Uh-huh. Whenever, right. whenever yeah, I'm yeah, talking about this. with guests or people, I remember my buddy JP Sears is deathly oh, afraid yeah. of rattlesnakes. Yeah. And so I wanted to take him out. This is years ago and he was a student of mine. I wanted to take him out hiking with me. And I, he said, Paul, I, I, I don't want to go. I'm scared of rattlesnakes. I said, don't worry, I can feel them. So what I do is I just connect to the spirit of the rattlesnake and say, well, I don't, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to be hurt by you. I want to share life with you. Please let me know if we're getting close to one of you so that we can make sure that we make space for you. And so what happens is I, I begin to feel the presence of the snake inside yes. of me. Yes. So, you know, JP thought I was crazy, but <laughs> we were on a, like a five-mile hike, and we were walking, and all of a sudden I could feel it. I said, there's a snake close by, JP. Stand behind me. Don't walk in front of me. And literally we took maybe 12 steps. It's right it was a there. great big rattlesnake that oh, had yeah. just recently been run over by a motocross bike and was laying there dying. Wow. But it was as big as that one I showed you yeah, on yeah. the video this morning. Yeah. Point being is, you know, these are the the natural abilities that we've lost. Yes, exactly. Know? To me, everything in nature is an extension of myself. We're all related. We're all related. We're all yeah. connected. Steiner describes what he calls supersaturation. And from people being so overexposed to media, which he didn't talk so much about the media back then. Because it wasn't as much of a thing back then. Well, yeah. I mean, he, was, he died the same in way. 1925, I think. Yeah. But he talked about eating foods that were had too much sugar and 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 too much coffee and too much stimulants. So he and too much noise and the and the excitement yeah. of cities and buzzing. Yeah. And he said it leads to supersaturation. So as you get more and more exposed to this hyper hyper stimuli, it pushes your threshold higher and higher. Yes, and so you actually get to the point where normal healthy food tastes void of taste to you. So the next thing you know, you got to drown it with shit. To make it enjoyable. To get any, yeah. So I think what's happening is <clears throat> so much of humanity is becoming super saturated that they actually get numb to life. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you, absolutely. It's not just through the five senses, but energetically and spiritually. Totally, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, physically, emotionally, for all the oh, different yeah. reasons that we've been talking about. From, exactly. Uh, personal trauma, being numbed out in schools, studying shit that doesn't interest you. Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing too, and I'm confident you'd agree with this, humanity has become so um, conditioned to violence Mm -hmm. because there's so much of it on television all the time and in video games. Right. 
that we've actually had to wall off the human part of ourself that senses the immorality of all that. So I think people actually just are physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually encased in defense mechanisms. And it's dangerous. I would absolutely agree. Absolutely, Paul. When a person makes the journey back to the natural world and takes this deep nature connection uh, journey, what they're doing is they're they're coming back to themselves, right? That they're bringing that threshold back down. They're 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 acclimating to the the subtleties that are available to us through our five senses, and finding that wow, there's there's gifts in that. If I can if I can hear the alarm call of a Pacific wren bird, a yep. little songbird from a from fifty yards away, yep. and I can get that sensitive, um, wow, what does that enable me to do? when it comes to my interactions with another human being or with, uh, with my community. Or listening to your own inner voice. Or listening to, my, to spirit, exactly. Yeah, to, to your to, soul. To, to your soul, absolutely. And you know, back to the poison ivy and the rattlesnake the stories that we were sharing, while that might seem supernatural or amazing or maybe even unbelievable, every single time I've connected with someone, whether they're white or native or black or purple polka dotted, if they've got uh, a sensitivity to energetics or to the natural world, those types of experience are commonplace. Yeah. And I've w- witnessed and trained people to go through that process and develop those things over and over and over and over. Yeah. And so these are common uh, capacities that we have as human beings that, that we've really, as you said, that we've truly lost mm-hmm. um, that are a key piece in our, in our deeper earth-based psycho-spiritual development. People often ask me, well, how do you remote view? And I say, well, the first thing you got to do is get over the idea that you can't. That you can't. <laughs> exactly. The one thing that is a limiting factor is most people's minds jump all over the place, right? So to remote view, you've got to stay totally centered mm-hmm. on that intention. Yes. And you just empty yourself and hold that focus and see what starts rising up inside of you. And lo and behold... But the point is, is the only way you can remote view, the only way it's possible is if the consciousness that you reside in right now as Tim or I as Paul is firewalled off by your belief systems and your ego. But the only way that is possible is if you are that. There's no way around that. There's absolutely no way around that. And I think that's... That the disease of not realizing that is at the base of gender identity problems, at the base of racial problems. It's, it's, it's at the base of a lot of mental, emotional disorders, depression, anxiety. And it's also at the base of our constant abuse of nature because what goes hand in hand with all that is not realizing that you're killing yourself. You're killing your small self and your big self. And your big self. Not to mention your children and grandchildren. And their future. And their future. And yeah. so the, 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 the key point is, is that because the deeper part of us at the soul level is aware of all this, we're actually creating an existential crisis. And even though the ego is not consciously aware of it, just like somebody who can't hear the birds when they first come to your camp but hears them later we're aware of what we're doing to ourselves. And I think that's one of the reasons that there's so much anxiety out there today is people are getting messages from the collective that we can't keep doing this or we're going right. to die. 
I, I couldn't agree more, Paul. I, I, I've long held that the core disease or core issue of our time is disconnection. Totally. Right. Disconnection. Disconnection from what? Disconnection from the earth. Disconnection from the self, from the deep self, just from even the superficial self. Yeah. Uh, dis- disconnection from other humans. Disconnection from community. Disconnection from soul. Disconnection from our, our, our reason for being. And the, therefore, the, I firmly believe the most important work we can do is all going to have something to do with reconnecting. I think in many ways, the basis of what we call evil is the symptom of disconnection. Beautiful. Beautifully because, said. Look, for me to do an act, we'll call it evil. Evil means to live against life, right? L-I-V-E, backwards is E-V-I-L. So living backwards is evil. So to disrespect morality, which is a code of conduct that is life affirmative, to steal from people, to harm people, to turn them into objects, genocide, whatever it is, racial war, all that comes from disconnection. Because once you disconnect from your core self, then Tim's somebody else. Someone with a different color skin, they're something else. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting, too. I, I had a podcast with a friend of mine, Dr. Keith Witt, who's a very, very incredible psychologist. He's one of Ken Wilber's kind of oh. genius minds. One of the things he brought up in our conversation about this, he says, well, Paul, you might not realize this, but many Native tribes did not have a word to describe somebody that wasn't in their tribe. So the way that they were able to go to war and kill these people was because they didn't have a name for them, so they became an object. They weren't another Sioux or another Cherokee or another Apache. They were something else. Uh And I think that's part of what's happened is we've gotten so into labeling everything and boxing it that we now see almost anything that falls outside of our belief system as an object or something else that needs to be gotten rid of. And so the point that I'm making is this issue you've brought up with disconnection. I really believe if we all realized our connection to each other and that we're all part of the same unique expression of life itself and that we're all here to do something unique to contribute to the puzzle to contribute to the grand picture, then we wouldn't see them as objects to be exterminated. We'd say, okay, well, what is it that they're here to do that somehow is part of what I'm here to do? I personally feel that the biggest illness we have because the outcome of it is evil is this whole issue of disconnection, which is why I think getting kids to guys like you to teach them how to experience the reality of themselves as part of nature is the beginning of morality. It's really the beginning of moral training. Totally. I hold that developmentally for us as human beings, that establishing a conscious connection to the earth, right? Which, and I I know in the mainstream world, there's so little connection to nature that it sounds like this weird thing out of left field, but let's just contextualize it. All I'm talking about is is a human being connecting with their habitat. Yeah. I'm talking about a human being connecting with the planet on which they live. Yes. I know that's a far out thing these days, 
but sadly, but we have we have millions of years of evolution where we live close to the Earth, and it's only in the last what hundreds, maybe a thousand years since the Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution, exactly, that we've lived apart from it. Yeah. So, I'm holding that a, a connection to the Earth, a conscious connection to the Earth through the five senses, is develop as a developmental necess- necessity for us as human beings. Yeah. And that when that's not in place, we will continue to have some sort of dis-ease and disconnection that we will attempt to fill in a variety of ways, whether that's um, very degenerative, like drugs, alcohol, you know, overuse of sex, and all kinds of stuff. Or um, we also get the scenario where people, you know, are stuck in a therapist's office or in a men's circle or in an ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. Thinking that they're they're finding something that, that that where they're searching for something that, that that's actually not there. Yeah, you know, and we've seen that. I've seen that so many times. So people describe it to me like this. Adults describe it like this. They'll say, "After this is a post reflection, right?" They'll say that I get pretty frequently. They'll say, "I feel like there was a veil of disconnection between me and the Earth that I was not aware of previously that lifted." In my time with you. Yeah. And I now feel myself not as a stranger to the earth. I feel myself as part of this earth. Mm-hmm. I, I am a human being. I've, my body has evolved here. Uh, we didn't come from Mars or out of space. And even if we did, that would be nature too. Well, human but we, comes from humus. Humus. The earth. Of the, the earth. The substrate of the earth. Exactly. And in, I use that point all the time. In, in Arabic. I took the words out of my mouth. Well, in Arabic, it means of red earth. Yes. Interestingly yes. enough. Of the red earth. And most people, I have not met a single Christian that can tell me the meaning of the name Adam or Eve. Uh, uh. Adam is Adamus, which is comes from the root word soil. Back to soil. Back to humus. Yeah. And Eve in Greek means life force. So you've got body, a projection, something. A projection is a masculine expression. Yes. And Eve is the life force. The inner. So the feminine is what's flowing through you is spirit. Yes. Yes. So that's what makes life. Right. We've got caught in this Adam and Eve story and we're all sinners (laughs) and we all deserve to toil in the thorns. It's just like, talk about the hijacking of of human mind through religion. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't have anything against religion as long as it's real religion, but when it's used as a corporate enterprise to control people, this is what you get. It's it's interesting. I was just yesterday, you know, we're we're down here in in the San Diego area for about a week, my, my youngest and I, and He's a birder. He, uh, he loves tracking all the different birds and figuring out their communication and, and, and all of this and their songs and everything. And, and here is this massive group of people. And what are they doing? They're just sitting there quietly watching and observing all the seals and the sea lions. Yeah. And there's the moms and the, and the pups. And there's the loud barking sea mm-hmm. lions. And, you know, I remember I was 500 people yeah. that were just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, and just quietly observing. Now, what is it? Now, most of these are modern folks. They're not signed up for yeah. some wilderness connection thing. It's just walking down the sidewalk, you know, and mm-hmm. here's all these seals and yeah. sea lions. Well, what is it in that, in, in, the, in the life force of the seals and the sea lions that draws these people there? Life. It's life, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, and, it's, and it's wildness. Yep. There's a wildness that, mm-hmm. that they don't have. 
you know, most of those people, I think it's safe to say, yeah. that is alluring, that is drawing like a magnet. You know, this is the most simple thing. And as humans, we're, you know, we find our nature by connecting with nature is one of the things uh, that I'm fond of saying. We find our nature by connecting with nature. And here amongst all these people, yeah, of course, they weren't on some big vision quest and they didn't have that kind of intention. And yet it was magnetizing them. They, they couldn't help but to pause. And some guys were there talking about, oh, this is our third day here and this mm. one was doing that yesterday and yeah. we were doing the other thing. It was, it was so cool. And it, 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 frankly, it was a moment of hope for me to see the general, general populace um, engaging in, in, an, in an organic moment of nature connection. I think there's also an archetypal, archetypal connection because if you think of Plato's concepts of good, beauty, and truth, when you're in the presence of nature and its natural rhythm, yeah, and you know, you don't have all these laws and you know all the social constructs. You can see the beauty of it. It's very attractive to see life in its natural flow. The good of it is that it is alive, and the truth of it is yes. that it is life itself. Yes. So I think there's this deep archetypal connection to what is meaningful yes. and what is real yes. that people starve Are for. Are starving for. Absolutely starving. Hi. Did you know that there are numerous studies using specialized dyes and radiolucent markers showing that when we eat a specific organ or gland from an animal, it ends up going directly to the same organ or gland in our body? This deep wisdom has been known long before science validated it, and people like St. Hildegard of Bingen all the way back in the 1100s wrote a diet book showing what specific meats would help heal ailments in the body. Francis Marion Pottinger, author of the famous Pottinger's Cat Study, used radiolucent markers and found that when we eat the adrenal glands of an animal, the molecules of adrenal tissue go right to our own adrenal glands. The body is very efficient and won't try to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. This is also true of collagen. About 15 years ago, while performing stunt lifting, I had a man fall from above right onto my head, blowing out two of my discs completely, tearing spinal ligaments and leaving me with spinal cord and nerve root compression. Any surgeon would have immediately wanted to fuse these joints and put metal in my neck, but I chose to rehabilitate myself, and one of the key dietary ingredients I used was collagen powder. This feeds the body the exact molecules it needs to repair the damaged collagen in my neck, and I'm still going strong. Joint degeneration is not only very common among athletes, but among workers and people of all ages today, and regularly consuming Organifi's collagen supplement may save you from a lot of pain, doctor's visits, and surgery. Give your body the resources it needs and let it do its magic. Organifi collagen uses only real food ingredients. It contains hydrolyzed bovine hide collagen peptides. This protein form is derived from pasture-raised cows. It is associated with pain relief from aches and pains in joints, radiant skin health, and even bone loss prevention. Eggshell membrane collagen. Taken from the thin layer between the egg and the shell, it is collagen-rich, and this may be beneficial for strong joint health. Hydrolyzed fish collagen peptides derived from wild-caught fish. This is a particularly useful collagen source because of its small particle size, making it easily digestible and absorbable. 
chicken bone broth protein concentrate. This source provides the collagen type found in your gut, joints, and cartilage and helps support greater health both inside and out. Don't wait until you're in so much pain that it hurts to do what you love to do, or you're told you need surgery when you can feed your body Organifi collagen and feel better every day while also enhancing your nutritional profile. To get your Organifi collagen, go to organifi.com forward slash chek20. That's organifi.com forward slash chek20. On checkout, use your Living 4D discount code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20, and get 20% off with your purchase of Organifi collagen. We, you know, a few months ago, we, as I showed, we, we brought bees in. We set up uh-huh, our right. beehive uh, down there, and we've got one, a second one we're building up now. And it was my kid's first time to be that exposed to the bees, other than just the bees all over the property. But to yeah. see, you know, thousands of them at once and feel the buzz and the oh, energy yeah. of them is quite yeah. an experience. But it was very interesting. Mana was totally entranced. I've never seen him go into a deep meditation. He didn't want to leave. He would just yep. he sit right in front of the beehive, yep. and he would just in his little bee suit, <laughs> and he, he he wouldn't talk. Yeah, he was literally like a kid in a TV hypnosis, but this time it was the bees. The bees. And every time he goes down there, he, he and he wants to go. He like yeah. he always Dad, can I go to the bees, mommy? Can I go to the bees? He. And, and as a child, I was very connected to the bees. We had a property on our pig farm in Idaho that had an old rotted out cabin that was probably 60, 70 years old or something. And, and it was, you know, how they get full of spiders and oh, yeah. crap. And, yeah. and there was some hornet's nests and things around there. But this is probably when I was about eight and my stepsister six months older than me, and then my brother was a year younger than me. My sister was two years younger than me, and we were all just kind of playing with the old pots and pans and garbage that had left there because it was just something to do when we weren't working on the farm. And all of a sudden, a swarm of bees came, oh. and they all got really scared. And I intuitively knew, don't swing at them, don't mm-hmm. hit them. Mm-hmm. Just relax. You'll be okay. But they got scared and ran. I just stood there. And within seconds, my entire body was covered with them, literally from head to toe. I mean, I'm talking every part of me. And I was just worried that I might breathe one in or because they were walking on my lips and all around my nose. But I knew innately not to be afraid and just, you know, I just would blow air out my nose to keep them out of my nose. Stay calm. But they just walked all over me. And I, I had this strange feeling of kinship yeah i don't know how to describe it with another word kinship exactly and i've always had this passion for the bees and then years later when i started studying studying shamanism and i went through a power animal retrieval the Uh first power animal that showed up was the bee bee. (laughs) of course and i and i gotta tell you a funny story about that i love it i was Going through a midlife crisis when I turned 50, I would just burnt myself out trying to save the world, which is not a good idea to do. Uh-huh. You wouldn't do that saving yourself first. Yeah. But I was just exhausted and I was just going into deep meditation in the sauna. And, and it just dawned on me that I should talk to my bee family because you can have a single power animal or you can have the family. Like I have the butterfly family, for example, for my heart chakra, but I have a single hawk for my third chakra. And 
So I connected to my B family and I said to them, I said, you know, this is what's going on in my life. What should I do? And two Bs showed up in my inner vision and they started doing a little dance and then they shot light into me and communicated to me telepathically right from their eyes to my eyes. I could see like streams of violet light coming to me and I could hear what they were saying. And they both looked at me and here's what they said. Paul, no bee can make honey alone. And I got it. I said, oh, you're telling me I need to delegate more. And they said, yes, you're trying to do too much by yourself. And that was really like a a turning point for me. I'm like, okay, you know. But what, can I ask you a question on that? Yeah. Would you say, Paul, that it was more, I've got a feeling I know the answer to this, but would you say that it was more than a, a, a data transfer? It was more than information being told to you, but would you would you characterize that as almost an energetic empowerment from the bees to you? Like they, they somehow helped you to find the qualities of energy from within in order to do that, in order to start delegating? I think what I experienced as that the intelligence of the bee, the consciousness of the bee, was telling me as a human being, the reason you've come to us is because you want to learn how we do it. Yes. How do we do it together? Yes. We're not tired because we work together. You're tired because you're trying to do too much alone. So the, feeling that I had was that the consciousness of the bee was communicating bee yes. wisdom. Yes, yes, yes. And I had gotten too trapped in my own egoic pursuit exactly. of exactly. success. Why? Yep. Because I'd hired so damn many employees that didn't do their friggin' jobs. <laughs> and I constantly yeah. had, me and Penny forever have had staffing problems. And finally, after <laughs> 25 years, we... There it managed was. to get a staff together. But the point I'm making is, is that what I sensed was that nature through the bees was giving me the awareness that I needed yes. to be more like the bees. Yes. And so my sense was that because I had gone to them for help, they were giving me help the way they give each other help. Yes. They were telling me, this is how we can do it. Yes. This is how we can make honey. It reminds me of, of the Bushmen, the, the Bushmen, the San Bushmen of, of Africa have this idea, what we're talking about here, of um, threads or ropes of connection yeah. between human beings and all of life. Yes. So this idea that between myself and a bee, or between myself and a moose, or between myself and another individual human. Yeah. There is like an energetic, you could imagine it, like a thread. Mm-hmm. And then when we're born, these start off as very thin little threads. But over time, the journey of life is to strengthen these through connection, yes. through connective practices, through yeah. the five senses, through uh, asking for help, through going through the journey of life and and approaching it from a community-based approach. Uh, there's a guy... Um, PhD Bradford Keeney, who wrote a book called Ropes to God, mm. based on this idea. And that as we develop these connection points, that these, uh, what would seem to a, a modern person as incredible or supernatural or impossible feats, 
um, actually become commonplace. You which know? is a problem in itself, right? Which is a huge problem because, yeah, because the, the power of belief is so strong, as, well, as, as you well know. I mean, too, just the whole idea that we think the supernatural is so mysterious. Right. Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. that means you're really stuck. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, yeah. It should be called supernormal. What what is normal today is a state of deep pathological disconnection. Yes, exactly. And therefore, you're already disconnected from what is natural, and what is normal is not normal. No. You know, a hundred years ago, most white people walking into an Indian reservation and not having those senses, they would have been felt sorry oh, for you. Yeah. Like, how oh, are you yeah. going to survive out there? Who was it? Krishnamurti who said it's no no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Exactly. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are. You mentioned five senses uh, a number of times, which I agree with, but I also think there's another extension of that. Our five senses are important, but they're a very narrow window to reality, right? That they're they're. they're they're frequency bands. They're very narrow. It's all been scientifically documented. I've got it all here in my library. In my studies of alchemy, there's a number of meditations alchemists use. And the point I'm driving at is that one of the types of meditations they do is practice seeing who's seeing through your eyes. So don't just look at what you're seeing like I'm looking at Tim right now. But in this meditation, like if I was sitting with you in this meditation, I would have to go back behind the five senses and experience who's looking at Tim yes. and using my eyes. Well, it would turn out to be exactly who's looking through Tim's eyes at Paul. And then it's one's called listening to the listener, mm-hmm. feeling the feeler, mm-hmm. tasting the taster, smelling the smeller. So... Over a course of years, I would be practicing these meditations. And so what happens is behind your senses is the super sensible abilities. Mm-hmm. And that's where clairvoyance comes from. That's where clairsentience and clairaudience and intuitive knowing comes from. Yes. And I think that's where we really want to get people to because the five senses do connect you to the reality of the stuff that's here. But when you get behind it, the stuff that's here turns out to be the rest of you. Yes. And then you start, that's why remote viewing is so possible once you get there, because you realize I'm just looking at the sun of myself or the galaxy of myself or the Tim of myself Mm -hmm. and the progression of, reorienting yourself to the five senses is to get to the super sensible ability that we all have. That's been my experience that when people, and it was certainly the case for me, that when people make the journey of deeply connecting to the natural world through the five senses and in that subtle way that we were talking about, that that yields a greater connection to the sixth sense and then seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. I, there's someone who, who's actually identified, I don't know what it was, like 40 or 50 different Yeah, Steiner's list senses. 12 of them. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, the five senses are just focused on physical reality. Yeah. But I think the hazard is that we see today in, in today's world, Paul, is that people try to skip that. They try they to do. They try to skip the physical reality and jump straight to the spiritual or jump straight to all, all the clairvoyance. And, all that. and there's nothing wrong with clairvoyance and all no. of those spiritual realities, but there is a hazard to avoiding physical reality. Well, yes. And in, in Steiner's teachings, that's called the Luciferian influence. Uh-huh. 
because Lucifer wants to take you out of the world and metaphorically speaking, why deal with all that stress and pain and harshness? You can come be with me and you'll be free. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> he says Lucifer actually incarnated in the East about, oh God, what was it? It was uh, probably about 3,000 years before Christ or something like that. I can't remember the exact date, a long time before Christ. But that he, he says Lucifer's influence is what brought us the Eastern religions. And what, what is one of the key tenets of Eastern mysticism or Eastern religion? For example, Vedanta and Hinduism. Mm -hmm. It's all Maya. Right. It's an illusion. Get out of it. So yep. you have all these Eastern mystics that go off, meditate in caves, and completely detach from the world because it's all an illusion, right? So the point I'm making is that this modern kind of new age spiritual, I'm going to be a clairvoyant, which is developing CDs or powers, is really also almost a form of attention getting or trying to make yourself better than somebody else. But it's a departure from the five senses, and yeah. it's a dissociation. Yeah. It's getting out of the world. Yes. And I think, like you, you got to get into the world first. Yes. Because until you're in the world, you don't know what you're getting out of. Well, and it's so easy to use that approach um, <laughs> to also avoid our healing journey. If I've got trauma that's unprocessed, yeah. and I don't want to feel vulnerable, I don't want to feel uncomfortable, I don't want to face all that stuff and feel all that pain and all that sadness and all that anger, oh, it's real easy. Yeah, I'm just going to meditate my, my, my life away here. Yeah. And all is one, one is all, and oh, physical reality is just a, a big illusion anyway. Right. Are you kidding? And yeah. the, 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 the problem, though, with that, too, is, is that, leads to it leads to foregoing the responsibilities of love yes. and relationship and and life on planet earth yes i yeah. mean look at buddha he left his wife and kid and just disappeared right i mean so here we have the founder of buddhism who completely ignores his responsibility right. as a man yeah and there's many other similar stories all throughout religious leaders but um i think part of the modern kind of new age spirituality is is really more of a getting out of and so is a lot of the plant medicine the psychedelic community it's checking yeah. out to exactly. leary tune in tune in turn on and drop out drop out yeah well no you, nothing's going to change if you drop out right right tune right. in turn on and get busy and contribute. <laughs> yes. Show up. Do something. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. that that's one of the th concerns I have with the, you know, now that plant medicines are becoming legalized and mm -hmm. you know people are getting so popular clinical yeah. grade MDMA and psilocybin and you know all that stuff. Pretty soon we're going to have a Luciferian phenomenon again, kind of like you know, in the Timothy Leary Ramdas era where people were just getting stoned out of their mind and painting mm -hmm. their bodies and dancing naked and having yeah. sex all day, which is all fun. Oh yeah. But sure. it's not gonna fix much. No. No, it's not know? gonna transform the earth. And the people that are the challenge for us, the ones that are guiding all this craziness in the world, they're they're not taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> they're not copping out. Yeah. They're busy trying to control your life and turn you into a profit center. And oh, so yeah. getting stoned yeah. and, you know, using your clairvoyance to look at a tree is only good if you're going to protect the trees. <laughs> exactly. You know, otherwise it's just another game that people are playing and it's, yeah. it's, 
it's, it's interesting how life can catch you either way. You can get hardcore materialist and think only about money, fame, and success and get yeah. lost. Yeah. Or you can go the other way and go Luciferian and become an Eastern mystic guru yeah. and meditate your way out, or you can yeah. stone your way out. Yeah. The problem is there's hardly anybody left in the middle Who's tending, actually tending to the garden. Yeah, exactly. Wh- exactly. One of the things I kept meaning to bring up, you know, a lot of people don't know how to love and they feel very disconnected from nature. So, because as a therapist working with people all over the world, most of them live in cities. So, you know, it's hard to say start a garden. What I do say is, look, buy a plant. Go to a, mm-hmm. go to a, nice. a garden shop or wherever yeah. you can buy a plant, a supermarket. It'll sell them. Safeway sells them. Yeah. And just develop a relationship with the plant. Yeah. And notice what happens when you don't water it. Yeah. It starts to die. Yeah. You know, really just have a relationship with a plant and notice it knows where the sun's at. Mm-hmm. As you relate to it, it'll tell you when it's thirsty. It'll communicate to you. And I think if people would just literally start with something as simple as living in an honest relationship with a plant or a pet, but something that's alive, and then you actually begin to be consciously aware of the responsibility of love. Yeah. And you get feedback. Mm-hmm. I don't water my plant, it dies. I don't water my dog or feed it, it dies. And that's where we've got to get back to. And I think it can be as simple as just paying attention to what it takes to keep a plant or a pet healthy mm-hmm. and not as an object, mm-hmm. but as a living, a living being, being, right? Yeah. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and 
always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new magnesium breakthrough formula? All you need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. Put in Paul 10, get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else we sell, 365-day money-back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this? <laughs> that, that's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four. And then the letter D, code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with Mag Breakthrough. You want, you know, one of the things you... you wanted to talk about that I think is really important is nature attachment theory Mm -hmm. and ecological awakening. Yeah. You know, I've studied attachment theory, Mm -hmm. um, but I've never seen the word nature in front of it. So maybe you're coming at this from a different angle. Would you like to share what your concept of nature attachment theory and ecological awakening is? It really goes back to what I was speaking about earlier, Paul, that developmentally for us as human beings, that I'm holding that we have a, a developmental need to come into our wholeness, to come into our greatness, to step into our potential, mm-hmm. to have an active, ongoing relationship with the natural world. I mean, if we look at modern attachment theory, what's the basics of it? Okay, that uh, we as human beings have uh, a need to have a, an active bond with our parents, especially our mother. Yep, for the, and especially if, the first two years. Especially early on in life. And that if that is uh, jeopardized or not present or not fully present, it's got ramifications on the rest of our lives. Now, For certainly we, we, we can heal that and, and we can transform that. If Thank you're goodness. lucky to find a skilled enough therapist. Yes, yes. Now, what I'm, what I'm holding is that, um, and, and think about all the people out there who are aware of, uh, of attachment theory and all the work that's being done in, 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 the, in the world amongst humans today. What I'm holding is that um, and I would say this for nature attachment theory as well as I, uh, I would offer a, a soul attachment theory, that as a human being, we have a need that is no less important to have an active bond with the earth. Yes. And, and also to have an active bond with soul, yeah. with our reason for being. It's, it's, it's recognizing that... Uh, that this is a need, and if it's not met, there's going to be a lack of of belonging. There's going to be a feeling of a void, which mm. we're all common. Uh, it's all all too common these days, and we're all f- familiar with on some level, although we don't always know what what it is or how to put a finger on it, or how to identify it, and that we will attempt to fill that void in all of these other unhealthy ways. Stuff, yeah, drugs. and so and so, like what I've seen, for example, is I'm a part of a men's group back home, right? We meet every Wednesday night, Mm -hmm. 6 to 10 p.m. Great work. Yeah, Our work is mostly on emotional maturity work, being aware of our emotions, expressing those in healthy ways, uh, and healing work. So we do a lot of healing healing of the past, and and it's great work. But it's really just focused on that. It's focused on our human relationships. It's focused on um, what I would consider uh, middle world uh, activities, middle world meaning the world that here we all <laughs> that we all live in, yeah, and, and, and in the here and now. What it doesn't do, 
is address our my men's group is it doesn't address our connection with the natural world, mm-hmm. right? And so I've seen guys come. I've been a part of a group for a dozen years. I've seen guys come through that clearly didn't have a connection to nature, and I've seen this in my professional work as well. Um, and when just a little bit of attention is is given to the connection to nature, and and that becomes on board, we'll all see huge benefits in all these other areas of their lives, relationships, work, um, personal motivation, et cetera, et cetera, despite maybe years and years of thinking, oh, there's some other layer of, of Trump childhood trauma that I've got to address mm-hmm. in order to get the successful results that I'm looking for right. in life. Right. So what I'm offering is that I think this is, and, and what I'm really hoping to share with the world, Paul, is that this connection to nature and the earth is so important, and it's it's largely missing from from most people out there. Yeah, it is, and this is not that difficult to to facilitate. It is growing in awareness. More and more people are starting to realize this, and that as you bring that on board, it fills in gaps that we have as human beings that really can't be filled in other ways. There's no amount of connection to other humans, or no amount of connection to spirit that can make up for a lack of connection. With the, the living earth that we're that, that we have evolved. Interestingly enough, connection to the living earth is connection to spirit. Yes, it is eventually, but there needs to yeah. be an active conscious. Well, uh, I'm up front. I'm speaking yeah. of the fact that all life is spirit moving slowly enough for you to interact with it. There is nothing but spirit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, I think what you're describing, in my own view as a therapist, is it's like a staircase to heaven you know first you got to start where you're at yes and you you connect with what's right in front of you and then you start asking deeper questions well what is it that's makes everything alive mm. and then where did it all come from <laughs> and what does it take to keep it alive like you yeah. know, there's nothing that can live here without the sun or the moon so right away you say, well, wait a minute. What whatever we think of this tree is or this wolf is mm-hmm. can't be here without the sun and the moon. No. And so you just keep asking, well, what does it take to keep that alive? Yeah. And you, so next thing you know, you're you, it, it's all one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's this like stair. What's what I call the stairway to heaven. You, yeah. You got to start yeah. where you're at because you can study mysticism and all sorts of fancy stuff, mm-hmm. but still. Forget to water your plants. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Feed your exactly. dog. Exactly. And yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what comes to my mind as you're talking about that is something quite shocking, and I suspect you're aware of this, but you realize the World Economic Forum is trying to push everybody into smart cities. Oh, yeah. And they're, oh, yeah. they're saying that we won't even be able to go out into nature because we're ruining nature, yeah. and yeah. you're going to have reality, virtual reality Mark Zuckerberg-style headsets, and they're going to block all that off. And I say to people, uh, there's only one fundamental problem here. Uh, you might want to look into the companies that are part of the World Economic Forum, and you'll find that they own the corporations that have destroyed the very com- nature that they're trying to keep us out of and blaming us for destroying. Right, right. So this is a date with the devil right here, and you better wake <laughs> up to it fast because it won't be long before the closest your kid can get to nature is a digital tree yeah, and a digital forest. yeah, And that is going to lead to a complete and utter breakdown mm. of the psyche of human beings. Oh, yeah. It will, there will be, we will have nightmare. I mean, we're already in a nightmare scenario. <clears throat> yeah. This is just next level. It'll oh, be my God. completely out yeah. of this world. Of course, for them, that means, oh, look at all the drugs we can sell. Of course. Of course. There's an old saying, 
a mind makes a better tool than a master. Mm-hmm. And the sure. same is true of technology. Yes. When it starts becoming your master, then Aramon is the entity that shows up. Aramon and Steimer, Steiner's concept is the um, consciousness of machines and electricity uh-huh. and yeah. um, technology and the matrix. And yeah, the matrix. So Aramon's yeah. Aramon's actual function is hardening. He crystallizes uh-huh. spirit into matter. Yeah. So from a spiritual perspective, Aramon's what gives you bones, teeth, and a body. Sure. But Aramon gone wild turns into a focus on materialism. Yeah. And Steiner says Aramon left to his own devices will eat the earth alive mm-hmm. and take everybody with it. Right. And Aramon's all about automation and control and basically turning everybody into a robot, mm-hmm. into a totally controllable entity. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> isn't it amazing that all this technology is supposed to make our lives easier, but it's making us sicker and sicker and fatter and fatter and lazier and lazier and more and more lost and more and more confused. Yeah. And there we have a big problem. So you got Lucifer on one side trying to get you out of the world. Mm-hmm. And you got Aramon on the other side trying to turn you into a fossil mm. and a, a, you know, or a robot. Yeah. Yeah. And in the middle is the Christ principle, which says uh-huh. not too much, not too little. Right. You've got to find the middle of all this stuff. Yes. And I think that's where we're at in the world right now. And that's I think where we're at. That's why spending time with a guy like you is very important because someone can come out and get out of the world, mm. the city, yep. to get into the world. To get into the world, <laughs> the natural world. realize the beauty of what is here. Yes. So Aramon is also the creator of nature. Yeah. In its healthy form, but the Christ principle is balancing those two and having love and connection to all of it. And like the cell phone or the tool or the drug, using it so that it is actually contributing to your wholeness or your ability to heal or to live, but not abusing it so you get either checked out or sucked in. And I think that's the beauty of the Christ principle, which can also be the Tao or the Buddha nature. Yeah. It's not just a Christian concept. It's just that's the popular name that gets people's attention because we're in a Christian culture. But there's, you know, many philosophies that <laughs> find the middle for you. Yeah. It's like walking the razor. Sometimes I'll refer to this as walking the razor's edge. Yeah. You know, everything in our modern uh, community, our modern culture is pushing us to one of those extremes. extremes yeah. And it is the hardest thing. It's, uh, or sometimes I refer to it as the salmon's journey upstream. It is, yeah. Right. We are going against the mainstream of community and culture to to walk that middle road. Yeah. And it's tough. And if if we don't create systems of support, friendships, alliances, find mentors, community that is supportive of this journey, there's no way. There's no way uh, someone's going to succeed. You know, I mean, I'm so grateful for all the the mentors I've had through the years. Me too, and, and the support because if it wasn't for for that, it, it I I wouldn't be here. You know, I no. just wouldn't be here. Right? Neither would I? I think it's so easy to lose that again when we look at any earth based community, any earth based culture. They had a, a culture of mentoring. Yes, that was consistently present. Supporting again, not just the transfer of data, of, uh, survival information from one generation to the next, but drawing out the best, activating yeah. the gifts, activating the vision, the purpose of each individual in that community so that the community as a whole can thrive. And that can't happen without caring mentors who show up day in and day out for someone 
who see one's potential but before one sees it themselves, who draw out the best. It changed, you know, it, it brought out all of my best potential. Yeah. And it, through that experience, how, again, kind of like the, what we were speaking about earlier, how could I not want to share that with other people? There's something called the weight of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's Steiner describes it as think of knowledge like oranges on a tree. The more mm-hmm. the tree can only get to a certain point before the branches will snap off. Yes. Yeah. And so. It also correlates to Joseph Campbell's model of the hero's journey. When the hero goes off on his quest, he has to meet a mentor yep. or he'll never make it. That's right. He has to come into contact with supernatural forces or he'll never make it. And when he successfully completes the quest, which is almost always about writing a social injustice, yep. he has gained so much knowledge that if he doesn't come down the metaphorical mountain and share it, the weight of knowledge will kill you. <laughs> Kill and so yeah. it's hard for people like you and I at our level of maturity and life experience to just watch everybody no, dying yeah, and destroying the planet because yeah. we're like, wait a minute. But this goes back to another point. And if you look at tribal societies worldwide, it was always the elders that were educating the children. Of course it was. And there's yeah. the mentors. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got a very good book. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Metabolic Man, 10,000 Years from Eden. Oh, uh-uh, no. It's a great book. Great. By Charles Heiser Worthen, who is a naturalist. And he calculated, did a lot of research to calculate how much time did it take the average hunter-gatherer society to meet the needs for oh. food and yeah. survival. Basic survival needs, yeah. And he calculated that on average, it took them three and a half to four hours a day. Yeah. And since they hunted in the morning, he did most of their hunting and gathering in the morning because a lot of places it's too hot in the afternoon. Yeah. He showed very clearly that early in the morning, the parents would get up, dad would go hunting, mom would go gathering with the women. Yeah. And the kids would go spend the first half of every day with grandma, grandpa, Grandpa, and all the elders. Yeah. And they would learn the songs. They would learn the myths. They would learn the dances. They would do arts and crafts. Yeah. They would do things like practicing making bows and arrows. Oh, yeah. And they would, oh, yeah. you know, they would actually really learn how yeah. to engage their skills, yep. their senses. Yep. Absolutely. And all the things that were important. And they would get taught by the wisest, most experienced, most empathetic and compassionate people. And they stated, and I've read this, that they Elders needed to raise the children the most because yep. they had the maturity to raise children. Yes. And the younger people didn't. They were too short-tempered and didn't have the depth of empathy and compassion and understanding. And to- were too preoccupied by their survival tasks right. of hunting and gathering yes. that they needed to do. Right. Yeah, so no. What- so I'm totally familiar with this theory. I, I, I'm not familiar with, with the book yes. and, and the author, but I, I'm very familiar with this theory. Yeah. But the point being is look at our elders today. Most of them- oh, Thrown they, away in they, nursing homes. They, don't, they want to yeah. get away. They, yeah. they want a, a cruise ship. They want a big RV. screen television. Oh, yeah. this, it's- there's this complete disconnection, right. and, and we and paradoxically- Our kids are suffering. Well, Mom, Mom and dad are totally stressed out, trying to do too much. we've got a whole culture of young people that think old people are fuddy-duddies oh, and yeah. get them out of the way. Totally. And they're outdated totally. and old-fashioned. Yeah. So we've got a complete disintegration yes. of exactly the multiple two million years, let's say, of human evolution and yep. nature- 
So we've been out in nature for a very long time, which is why our genes are so wired to nature. I mean, yeah. we're, we're like totally, nature lives in our genes. Yeah. I mean, fuck, if you look yeah. at the studies on genetics, you got 23% of a flute, fruit fly in you. You got 19% right, right. of a banana in you. <laughs> and this is another point, which is people say, well, how is it you can talk to plants and trees and, and all this weird stuff? I'm like, uh, you know what they call junk DNA? It's only junk because they're scientific materialists, but if you talk to a guy like me who can use his clairvoyance to look into this, that's the history of all the things that we've been yeah. in nature since the very beginning of evolution mm. on this planet. You've got 4.9 billion years of experience in your DNA. Yeah. And so when I'm not talking to a plant out there, I'm talking to the plant of me yes. that my soul once was once maturing into its own self-awareness as, which yeah. is exactly yeah. why Rumi and, and uh, Ibn al-Arabi and others say Rumi was the one that popularized it. God sleeps in the minerals, dreams in the plants, moves in the animals, and yeah. realizes himself in man. And th that's what our genes have done. Yeah. Slept in the minerals, dreamed in the plants, moved in the animals, and wake up and go, oh my God, here I am. <laughs> right? Which, which uh, there was a question I wanted to ask you earlier. Yeah. What is your conception of the soul? Because we, we, I always oh, ask yeah. people that because everybody's, everyone listening has their own idea of the soul from sure. thinking that it doesn't exist. Like Yuval Noah Harari and the World Economic Forum said so there's uh -huh. no such thing as a soul. You're a hackable animal. Get rid of these ideas of God and soul. They're bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's got a different conception of the soul. The different religions have different conceptions of the soul. What is the soul to you? Ah, great question. So I would say, gosh, what is soul? Well, if, if there is a place... In me, so I, I'll say this: I, I look at soul as I think differently than uh, maybe a kind of a, a, a classic religious perspective would offer. I don't see it as this thing that comes in and animates my body and then leaves when I die and moves on. I really see soul as okay. So if there's a place in me that has the knowledge of why I'm here on this planet, I would call that place my soul. But it's simultaneously not just a place in me, and this is where it gets paradoxical, it's not just a place in me or a part of me, it's not a part at all, it is also the point where I experience myself as interconnected with all things, mm -hmm. because it is that spirit that is moving in and through all things, mm -hmm. all of life, right? So I look at soul as... Um, really more verb than noun, mm -hmm. if you will. I look at soul as a way of perceiving the world, a worldview, if you will, um, a, a way of perceiving the world that sees the perfection in everything so that uh, it can recognize, when, when I'm living from my soul, I'm seeing the gift in all experiences. And I don't say that lightly. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I can apply, we can apply that to gnarly, horrible trauma that happens to people. We can apply that to abuse. We can apply that to nasty stuff that there are actually gifts in these things. And that, and we kind of started here earlier, Paul. Talking, well, without those things, there would be no capacity for wisdom. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the soul is, is, is that uh, which which understands our which knows our purpose, and so the journey to 
to connect with purpose then is really, I would see it as an ecological process even more than spiritual. Meaning, if we, if we hold a mindset of all life is natural, then the question is, what is my niche in this world? What is my, what is my place? Not my habitat, not like the physical place, but, yeah. but my niche being my role. Where is my give and my take mm-hmm. in this world? How do I fit mm-hmm. as a puzzle piece in the great web of life? And the way I'll discover that is by making a connection with my soul. And how does, how does a person make a connection with soul? My experience is the most effective ways of doing that are through nature. You know, yeah. are, are through especially uh, uh, quiet time, solo in nature, holding an intention of doing just that when my intention is, why am I here? I, I want to make a connection with my soul. Mm-hmm. I want to touch the depths of who I am. The poets talk about this, right? David White um, talks about the, the truth. Uh, he, he would define soul as the, uh, poetically as the truth at the center of the image I was born with. Mm. right? And again, this is where I do believe soul is paradoxical and impossible to define, but poems and myths are probably a better way of, of defining it rather than an actual you know, written definition. Um, so, yeah, the journey of connecting with soul, I mean, that's, that's really what my work has been these last very consciously, intentionally, these last seven, eight years. You know, I ran the wilderness school for, oh, I don't know, close to 15 years. And um, it was around, I don't know, 2016, 2017. You know, I mean, great transformation with people, connecting people to nature, right? Um, really bringing people alive. I can't tell you how many times I had people come to me themselves, or maybe it might be a mom whose kid went through the program and say, Tim, you know, you saved my life, or you saved my my daughter's life, you saved my son's life, you you brought them back to the, the essence of, of life itself. Yeah. But that, for me, Paul, was always through the conscious intention of connecting people to nature. So around 2016, 2017, I had a similar kind of midlife existential crisis where, um, so I've always been very spiritually driven, right? And the reason I ran that wilderness school for all those years and still do is because it was my calling. It was that's where I experienced spiritual fulfillment. I knew this is why mm-hmm. I'm doing what I'm meant to do here on this planet. So there came a point where that fulfillment went away. Mm-hmm. And I remember finishing up a summer camp season. You know, we had several hundred kids come through, several dozen staff. My wife and I are managing people reporting all the same things. This changed my life. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had just freaking washed the dishes or something. I, yeah, it didn't mean hard. anything. And, I, and it was it freaked me out, man. I was like, what in the hell is happening to my life? Yeah. This was my juice, you know? Like, what is going on? So go back to my mentors, go back to my elders, go back to the land. A couple of vision quests later, uh, long story short, what was happening? Well, I was evolving. Mm. And spirit was, and soul really was instructing me, Tim, it's time for you to get more conscious and more intentional about your work in the world, that it's not just to help people connect to nature. It still is, but we're adding a, a, a conscious layer on top of this, which is your work is now to help people connect to vision and to purpose. And that scared the heck out of me, you know, Paul, because I'll be honest, like there is no, there's nothing I hold more sacred than the, the, the journey of connecting with, with vision. 
Mm-hmm. I, it was like the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me when it's just, just when it happened to me and the thought that I'm now going to get more intentional and more outward and kind of hang it on my shingle that I, that's what I'm here to do. Boy, that was a scary one for me. I mean, I had to, I had to, I had to face myself in an even deeper way and yet it was also irresistible. I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better. I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex. Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices, and I sincerely hope you love it. Save 15% on your Paleo Valley Organ Complex by going to paleovalley.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. That's P-A-L-E-O valley.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. No promo code is required. I teach I before we, and we before all, always. And my own midlife crisis was because I was living through the we and the all, mostly the all. So in my system, we is two people, all is three or more. Okay. So once you're at the all level, you're tasked with the responsibilities of a teacher because you have to carry the karma of misleading people. Yes. So we relationships is you and your son, you and your wife, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where there's a direct person-to-person connection. But I is the basis of it all. You can't give what you don't have. Yes. And so I think what happens is you get so far into your career or your your vocation or your soul path, and people that are usually guided by soul are, are generally much more skilled people than people that are just acting out social constructs. You could be you could be a good lawyer. Sure. And you could be doing exactly what mommy and daddy wanted you to and you're getting good grades yeah. in school and you're you're making a good living. Oh yeah. But yeah. you're still not connected no. to your soul. You've just become a good, And there's no spiritual fulfillment. <laughs> you've been a good boy and a and good you girl. You probably feel trapped. And you're feeling dying inside, yes. right? So you yeah. come home and you drink some wine and watch yeah. some junk TV and you start living in another reality. Oh yeah. But the point I'm driving at is is that I think that that a lot of us get lost in the we and the all and lose touch with the I because especially in a Christian Christian or Abrahamic religious culture where there's a lot of um, gratification to be in service and to put oneself first is very frowned upon on many levels. Yeah. But, you know... If we don't fill our own cup up, we don't really have anything to give. And so I think it's a, it's, it's actually, I think, a, almost like an initiation into eldership because you have to go through. This is why the bees said, 
Yeah. No one can make honey alone. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you need to work with other people, but you also have to take care of yourself because dead bees don't make honey. <laughs> Sick bees don't make honey. There, there was such a parallel there, Paul, because <laughs> so, so I, that's when I started Purpose Mountain. That's when I started getting intentional and hung my shingle as, okay, I'm here to help people connect with vision and purpose through nature connection. Uh, and at that point, my energy just started uh, drawing back from the wilderness school. Yeah. I've, st- I've remained involved, but if you look at my trajectory personally with the school, what have, I, what have I done over these last six, seven, eight years has been delegating and exactly what the bees told you, yeah. wor- working with others in yes. that way. And, 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 and I mean, every, every year that goes by, it's, it's more and more of that. So I just kind of laugh because there, there's a lot of parallels here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I think because we're we're talking about an archetypal experience, yes. you yeah. and I are. You know, the thing is, if you don't make this archetypal journey, then you just become sick. It never unfolds. So, so you, so you so don't you, know. You so you die in yourself. Exactly, and and that's the thing. I mean, for me, like stories like this are actually uncommon for for me in the world. Yeah, I'm like a handful of people. You're one of them who who've gone through maybe a similar process, and I yeah. would agree. I think it is archetypal. And that's all still unfolding, you know, in its own way. It is unfolding. And, you know, the, the way I could put it in metaphor is what happens to the caterpillar that never becomes a butterfly? They die in the cocoon. And what is the cocoon? It's this enculturation. Mm. It's an enculturation into a way of living that is completely unnatural but profitable to a few. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's up to all of us to recognize the truth of what our heart is telling us. Because no amount of new phones, fast cars, sexy clothing, oh. or pornography fills that hole. The only way you can fill the hole in your heart is with love. And the only way you can fill it with love is you have to be present inside of yourself. And that is the soul connection. Yes, that yes being, exactly. Being conscious of what is being told you, not only by your body, but by your heart you know, I read a book on mythology by a guy named John, John Young Blutt. Um, and he said, there was a line in that book that hit like a lightning bolt. He said, only the heart can, de- only the heart can deliver justice to the head. Ah, oh, nice. And that's the fact. Nice. Yeah. That's the fact. The head is the realm of intellect, idea, and ego. But the heart is the realm of Honesty and Truth. soul and feeling yes. and connection and yes. the realization of what we are and who we are. Yeah. Because that heart is the it's the beat of life, right? It's the drummer that's making you alive. The head, the head can completely dance off tune all day long. Oh god, yeah. The, the way I like to put it sometimes is you can never get enough of what you really don't need. <laughs> You can never get enough of what you really don't need. And what's so interesting That's is, isn't right that a good there. one? Yeah. <laughs> um, when people come out to me and, and they want to take the, the journey to, to vision, you know, through, through the natural world, uh, one of the first things I have them do is exactly the thing we're talking about is, okay, we're going to pause. Uh, really, I, I frame it as sacrifice. You know, yeah. so, but, but we're going to pause all of the behaviors, all of the distractions that keep us away from listening to our heart. Yeah. And people slow down. They start to catch up with themselves. They start to feel what's out of alignment. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Do you that, notice? That all a, of, do, you, do you notice there's a often a period of wiggling and squirming? Oh, are you and, kidding me? <laughs> and just like the vibration of what do you ask me to do, Tim? This is it's crazy. Like, it's like, um, oh my god, I'm overwhelmed. It's like an infant oh. that's coming off the breast, but, oh, but they don't yeah. realize it's the wrong breast. Yeah, exactly. Right. But but that's what they get a chance to see when they pull back. Yeah. If, if if people could just pause long enough, this is what I tell people. If, if you could just pause long enough and stop all those behaviors that are distracting you from the truth in your heart and the truth of your connection to the the world, you would realize there's all these pieces that are out of alignment in your life that need addressing. Yeah. But all of those compensatory behaviors, the drugs, the sex, the screens, on and on and on, keeps you numbed out from recognizing what's off track, right? And so, and and then people are actually able to slow down Mm -hmm. and get honest with themselves. The old traumas that are unhealed, of course, are going to pop up. They're going to have to face all of that stuff. And underneath that, they're going to be able to have that moment of connecting with something timeless and eternal with, with their soul, with the truth of, of at the center of their image of why they're here. Yes. And, and with the earth itself. And, and those are like, again, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of hit the jackpot. On, I, you ever feel this way? Like, I feel like I just, I, I just, I won the lottery on life to do the work that I do. I, I, it's like, it's such an honor. I love it. It fires me up so much. It's a ton of hard work, you know, but that's the thing about living from soul back to your question on defining soul is one of the indicators. I think that a person is aligned with soul is that that chi energy, which you're so fond of speaking about Paul is alive and it's present in them and it fuels them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a lot of hard work, but mm-hmm. you know, there's also that sense of timelessness and like, man, I can't believe I get paid to do this. And, and this is the greatest joy of my life. This is why I'm here. When you're living in tune with your soul, you're living a labor of love. Yes. And the reason that's important is because a labor of love is sustainable. Yes. Anything else is not sustainable. It produces disease. You know, the example I often give is if you want to know what a labor without love is, just have your next door neighbor drop their kids off for two weeks <laughs> and say, I've got an emergency. I need you to take care of my You're kids. Right. Right. And you will have a very hard time dealing with somebody else's kids because they're not your own. And the work of parenting, especially a kid between one and four, right, is a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And it takes a a real love connection from mom and dad to work through that because it disorients your whole adult way of (laughs) being, right? Right. The reason it's so important to get the guidance, which is I'm teaching this constantly, as you are, my whole system's based on this, is, is to... And I have techniques for accessing your soul. So I, I do actually teach methodology for yes. going directly to that yep. and developing yep. that relationship because that's, look, I got a hundred and almost 150 books on the soul. Only two of them mention anything about how to make contact with your soul. Practical applications of connection. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you guys, all these experts on Give the soul, break, but right? nobody even tells you how to have a relationship. <laughs> exactly. With it. It's like, oh, What's I'll, going on here? It's just like a bunch of fairy tales about right. the soul. Do you know Thomas Beekner, the theologist? Okay, great quote. You're going to love this one. He would, he would say soul or purpose or life vision, is, your, pick your, your choice of terminology there, is the place where your greatest gladness meets the world's hunger. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And that, that point of intersection where that, that I was describing that you, we've been talking about here, uh, when, when you are lit on fire and offering a genuine service to the world that the world needs at this time. 
Yes. You know, you are on track. You are not dissociated with the world. You are very present, walking that razor's edge and delivering your gifts that you were actually born with, you know, in, in that deeply satisfying way. That is a labor because it is. It's a ton of work. And I asked you earlier, I said, gosh, Paul, what do you attribute your success to? And what did you say to me? You said, well, hard work and passion, I think. is not yeah, that what you said? exactly, yeah. And I was like, there it is. There's a man who's found his soul. I mean, it's so yeah. apparent to me. I'm really just getting to know you, in the, yeah. you know, for the first time here. But it's so apparent to me that you've, you've aligned with your soul and that your work is from that place. Because yeah. how else could you possibly do all of this? I think it was, I was talking to a guy on my podcast, real cool guy, Daryl Shoon, and he he gave an example that I can't remember. I'm going to bastardize it, but I'll give you what it wants to come out of me as, is we were talking about like your soul path and it's when your dream, when you have an encounter with your own dream on the path of life. Yeah. When you have an encounter with your own dream on the path of life. If I summarize what soul is based on my experience, Soul is simply stated the consciousness within. So like if you're listening to your conscience or you're connecting to your heart and saying, should I marry this person or should I make this investment or should I punch this person in the nose right now? (laughs) Um, You're speaking to the consciousness within. That's soul. And soul is also well-defined in Greek as entelechy, the guiding intelligence, entelechy. right? Yeah. So that's yeah. the guiding intelligence. That's what's telling your heart to beat. That's what's digesting your food, metabolizing, assimilating, eliminating, healing. That's what's, you know, there's 30 billion billion biochemical reactions a second in the human body. That's a big number. That's a lot. You got a hundred trillion cells, depending on whose book you read, but a hundred trillion is a common number used. Nassim, Harriman, a quantum physicist, says each cell is made on average of 100 trillion atoms. So you've got 100 trillion cells made of 100 trillion atoms orchestrating 30 billion billion biochemical reactions of a second, and soul is what's managing that. All of that. Ego <laughs> is what's riding that spiritual elephant, going, go this way, go that way. Convinced that it's in control. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, Nassim Harriman says they got it up backwards. Oh, what, it's, they, it's what they call consciousness really. yeah. should be the unconscious. Right, right, right. What's unconscious exactly. should be the consciousness Flipped. because it's way more intelligent. <laughs> but yeah, so for me, the soul is the guiding intelligence. I love that, and that that's, that's beautiful. That's what makes the flower know where the sun is. Yes, right. That's what makes yes. a dog know what to hunt and a. Uh, 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 an animal in nature know what not to eat or what to eat or when not to pick a fight. <laughs> my my elders used to call this, uh, I had an elder, uh, Jake Swamp, who was a sub-chief of the wolf clan of the uh, Mohawk tribe, Haudenosaunee people. And he referred to this, the Iroquois, the Haudenosaunee referred to this as our original instructions. Yeah. You know, and that there are original instructions for everything on this earth, as you said, the plant that knows how to reach for the sun, a uh, predator that knows who to go after, and that includes us as human beings, mm-hmm. and that we do have a, un- a unique set of original instructions. Yeah. And again, back to this idea of a vision, you know, that soul is what knows our vision, our purpose, that they, that's the great adventure of life is, yeah. man, what are mine? And I'm thinking of all those listeners out there and just like... Everybody 
women, men, people of all gender, everything. You've all got something. There, there is an original instruction for you out there. And I, that's my, uh, such a big part of my message, Paul, that I really want people to mm. feel, you know, more than here to feel is like, there is something that's yours. And if you haven't found that, it's available. You know, it is possible. I know for years and years, I, I really didn't believe there was anything for me early on in my life. I was like, I, I, I thought life was a mistake or random mm-hmm. or something, you know, yeah. so disempowering. I think soul too is that within us which knows where we fit yes. into the puzzle of life. The great puzzle of life. It, it knows where we fit. Yes. We both mentioned our connection to mythology and, and its deep relationship to all this. Um, what's your definition of a myth? Are you familiar with um, uh, uh, Michael Mead is the fellow's name? Who I, I'm thinking I've heard of. his name. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a mythologist and he's ha- he talks about myth as a myth is a story uh, that is more true than true. That is more real than real. Mm. Meaning, it's not that the, the the elements of the of a myth are factual and that they took place in physical reality, mm-hmm. but that they speak to a deeper truth that we experience as human beings here on yes. planet Earth. And there are, of course, wor- worldly and cultural myths yeah. that are common throughout our our world and cross culturally throughout time. And then, of course, we've got personal myths. Yeah, and the this idea that there is a central narrative, a central story that typically is unconscious for most people, unless there's been some kind of awakening um, that is guiding their life, a combination of beliefs and uh, that, 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 and, and make up a a broader narrative that, that animate them, that, that impact the actions and the choices that they make in this world. I think the function of myth really boils down to meaning making yes and myth is also very mysterious um one of my all-time favorite authors james Carse. okay great he wrote the book finite and infinite games which is phenomenal mm. phenomenal one mm. of the top 10 books of my life oh cool one paragraph will throw you into a contemplative meditation for a week and um in my interview with him, I asked him what, how he defines myth, and one of the definitions he gave, a myth is a story that tells itself, and that's really very much the soul. It's, it's what's telling the story of you, yeah. and it's the ego that stops us from listening to the story of ourselves, and if we don't listen to the story, then we can't make meaning, so we can do everything else that someone else tells us, which is their control dramas usually, but we lose touch with the story that's telling us. Yeah. And so the reason we're talking about this is because, you know, when you're doing your work with helping people find their visions, then that's a very mythological quest. You know, one of the things that's so important um, and that, we, that we've been speaking about here, Paul, is what is our relationship with the experiences in our lives that we were not initially at peace with, aka mm. our, our wounding. Yeah. Right. What is my relationship with my wounding? How do I relate to that? Do I relate to it? Mm. Have I got the whole thing buried in my yeah. uh, unconscious? Uh, or am I conscious of it? 
And do, do I let those wounding experiences create beliefs about me? I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm not a good person. Other, other people I are won't. more important. Yeah, I'll I can't. I won't. Have. I'll never amount to. Yeah. I'll never be important enough. Or have we learned to transform those? Yeah. And the reason why I, th- I think doing personal mythology work is so important with people, and I, and I do that as a conscious step. It's typically, I, I actually work on that later on in the process after the deep inner transformative work has taken place as kind of a, um, an encapsulating moment for people to look back at their life and and redo the story and say, yeah. like, I, I, I think of myself, right? Okay, sensitive boy, emotionally sensitive, spiritually sensitive. No fun to be the emotionally sensitive boy when I was 10 years old in the, in the, in the fourth grade locker room, yeah. right? Um, now, I don't say that to get people's pity. I say that to let people know, hey, I had a real hard time yeah. with those experiences. And I took it on to believe the personal myth I made that mean, the meaning making I'd made out of it was, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not important. Other people are more important. And in my journey of connecting with, with vision um, that involved the healing journey, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was sensitive, that this isn't something I could turn off or throw away. This was a core um, attribute of who Tim Corcoran is in the world. And if I was going to really touch my vision, I had to come to peace with that. How do I do that when there was all this wounding associated with it? Well, when after I went through my healing process, I was able to see it for what it is, like fire or water. It's just something. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. And in the wrong scenario, in a cultural scenario that doesn't value that sensitivity, it's going to be seen as a negative. Yeah. And I'll be made fun of for it, et cetera, et cetera. But in another cultural context, enter deep nature connection mentoring culture, wow, you're sensitive? Oh my gosh, you're the one who can notice the subtle tracks in the sand, or you're the one who can sense the emotions of another person and help move that person along their journey. Yeah, I was leading a young men's rite of passage, so this is a formal initiation uh, where 13-year-old males are coming through the transition of puberty, and they're leaving behind boyhood consciously, intentionally, yeah. entering into adolescence and, and formally entering into young manhood. Mm-hmm. We were uh, w- One of the ceremonies I work with is the sweat lodge. Yeah, I love uh, that. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's powerful work. And I say do a sweat lodge before you do a bunch of psychedelics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, we were working, I was working with the sweat and I had, I don't know, there was, I don't know, eight, 10, maybe 12 um, boys that were coming through this initiation. And I had my staff with me and, and there was one guy um, who, who I'd connected with quite a bit. And, you know, we have the, you have those certain students that yeah. like just stand out in your journey as, as a teacher and mentor. And he was one of those for me and had so much to teach me. And well, I could send, he had a similar journey to mine. He had been socially ostracized and he had struggled and socially, all this stuff. And I could sense that he was right on the cusp of actually birthing all that grief for the, the first time. Mm. But he needed that encouragement. He needed a little bit more safety and a little bit more mentoring, a little encouragement. So I, I, I did so, and I was following my, uh, my own soul, my own calling mm-hmm. to do that. And this guy just cracked. And for the next hour and a half, after the sweat was over, he was out and just bawling. Now, he was a big processor, mm-hmm. a, a bit, you know, pretty vocal. And so a lot of cathartic release going on here. And all mm-hmm. of this 
upset and all of this trauma and, and, and disconnection leaving his body. And man, my staff hadn't seen anything like this before. This was kind of a new edge for a lot of them. And mm-hmm. they were get they were getting frazzled. And I was like, you guys, we're we're good here. Just yeah. we're good. And I got my hand on his back and and I just sat with him, you know, and I allowed this to move through and I supported him. And I had this moment. It was um almost an out-of-body experience for me, Paul, where I looked back at many of those moments of being bullied of being made fun of and that the hurt and the pain that that genuinely felt at, in, in those at the, in those moments when I was a boy and for the first time in my life it, it wasn't that I had I mean I had done my healing work on it but for the first time in my life I actually felt thankful genuinely glad that those things had happened not because you know I was into suffering no but yeah. because it allowed me to actually empathize with this other human being in front of me. And I knew in that moment that I could not be helping him yeah. if I had not gone through those same situations. Yeah, you could go into resonance with him. Yes. I'm thinking about our listeners. If you look at the, the moments you've been hurt in this life, notice how it's like it's pushing this button and it's identifying for you where you are uniquely sensitive. It hurts at first, but if you're able to make that shift and see oh, this is something I'm walking with, this emotional sensitivity, this spiritual sensitivity, in my case, um, oh, this is something that I am carrying, and I can relate to this differently. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. This can be a good thing. And moving mm-hmm. forward now, I look at the work I do, and I think, my God, I, I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for that sensitivity. I there's no way. I mean, I, I couldn't function. It's, I depend on that sensitivity. Yeah. The same thing I once hated. The same thing that at 22, I would have told you I would have paid any a dollar amount to get rid of in my life. There's a relationship here when it comes to personal mythology work. There's a relationship between our wounds and our power. And I really invite our listeners to think, sit with that one deeply. The places where we've been wounded are often uh, pointing towards our power. Some people talk about this as the sacred wound is uh, the other side of the coin of our sacred gift. These were actually gifts from soul, from mystery, secretly disguised as wounds yep. that were actually pointing me to my ultimate calling in yes. this life. That's why a mentor is so important because yes. oftentimes without a mentor, you can't, you can't see that. You can't bridge the gap. No, no, no you can't, you you can't know, bridge it's that. It's as though you're on one side of the rainbow, but you only see one color. You don't realize there's seven more. And the pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow is the realization that there is perfection in the imperfection. Yeah, exactly. And Rumi says that the reason for a broken heart is to let our love pour out. You know, and some of us get too encapsulated in the mundane and in routine and 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 stop living and so sometimes it takes a jolt a crisis a lightning strike a, a divorce you sometimes have to walk the edge of death to find life yes know? hello everybody i hope you're enjoying the podcast I suspect you've heard me speak about the Czech Academy on my podcast, and I'd love to extend a very special offer we've created for all of you. We created the Czech Academy so that anyone wanting to master a truly holistic approach to living, rehabilitation, strength and conditioning, athlete development, 
or Holistic Lifestyle Coaching can gain mastery with the guidance and the support of true masters, the Czech Institute instructors and mentors. The Czech Academy is ideal for anyone wanting a career change to enhance their professional skills and meet the demands of the public today and is a multidisciplinary program. We have doctors and therapists of many types and encourage cross-pollination because none of us has the full range of expertise to handle all the challenges people commonly present with today. We encourage all Czech professionals to network with other experts and to learn and grow by working together for the betterment of all, and particularly the patients and clients. The Czech Academy Open House is an opportunity for anyone interested in the Academy to get a taste of the Academy learning experience. The Open House is free to everyone. The Open House provides seven days of access to the Czech Academy e-learning platform, and participants will be able to take select lessons from our online courses, including Integrated Movement Science Level 1 online and Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 2 online. Preview our Academy-exclusive online workshops. Check out our Academy business assets like package templates, client onboarding checklists, and more. Watch group mentor sessions. Hear from current students about how they're applying what they've learned. You will also receive a free Czech career consultation with Gavin Jennings, CEO of the Czech Institute and co-founder of the Czech Academy, so any questions you have can be answered. You can register for the open house right now, but registration for this event ends on September 22nd, so please don't wait to the last minute. To register for the open house, go to chek.group forward slash open dash house. That's check.group forward slash open dash house. Enjoy your free access to the Czech Academy and feel free to talk to Gavin and get all your questions answered. We'd love to have you. And as you all know, the world needs a lot more holistically skilled, open-minded health and exercise professionals right now. And this is your great opportunity to be the best. You know, one of the challenges that we all have to go through as young uh, budding adults, you know, coming into our teenage years, we have this natural tendency to reject mom and dad's ideas because with mom and dad's ideas are a generation out of touch with what culture is doing in any given moment. If we don't have the inner strength to go on that hero's journey and, and do the work and get the life experience, which includes the wounding, to figure out who we are and what our story is, mm-hmm. then we have to suffer the long-term pain of living someone else's story. Yes. Which is almost always mom yep. or dad or mom and dad or the church or society. But it it doesn't actually touch us deeply enough. You know, we have to be we have to come into contact with ourselves. So if we don't have someone that guides us into ourselves, then we we end up having quite often to bang into ourselves. Oh yeah, and you know which that, is not fun. <laughs> yeah, you know it's. I, I give you a sort of a, a quick little mythological story. When I was young, I was a very successful stock car racer, and I was only nineteen at the time. One day, my whole pit crew pulled me aside. And said, you never mention us in all your newspaper interviews, and we're the ones that give you the ability to win those races. Yes, you're a better driver than we are. That's why you're the driver. Yeah. But you can't do it without us. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start acknowledging us, we're not going to support you anymore. It was a very 
painful experience for me because I had no conscious realization that I was doing that. And it was only when they brought it up that I realized, wow, I've never mentioned my pit crew in any of these interviews, you know? Mm. I think if I look back at to why that was, it's a paradox. My father never once told me that I'd done a good job, no matter how hard I tried. And so I think I became so desperate for accolade to feel alive like i my life had some meaning yeah that i had kind of been medicating that wound through through doing the work to get the attention which is why i competed to be a champion athlete and tried to do the best at everything that i could do Mm -hmm. but now i had reached a point where spirit or soul or the the myth was saying okay now you've got to start taking people with you on this journey because you there's nobody can do anything meaningful in the world by themselves yeah and so there that was sort of a mythological yes uh, transition point for me. i love that and it, it was i i, I you know I, I literally had tears in yeah. my eyes and it, my heart felt like it was going to mm. break yeah you know at the end of the day without our story there's there's nothing to us there, there's mm-hmm. you know we, which really brings up an important point about the soul. Memory is an inherent aspect of the soul. Because if we don't have memory, we don't have any way of knowing who we are. Um, that's why they say the greatest thing about having Alzheimer's disease is you get to meet new people every day. Because <laughs> you have no history. Yeah. You have no, you have no um, capacity for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think... I think our myth is not only our memory, but it is the capacity to look at our that aspect of our soul in context with what what is needed by those that support us and those that we're supporting and by and by the world. I had many points in my life yep. where I could yep. go that path, but yep. there was something inside of me that knew that yeah wasn't ultimately i could have made millions selling swiss balls and i had many (laughs) offers to to start my own factory and all i said look i'm not here to sell swiss balls yeah i'm here to teach i think our our personal myth and our collective myth is important i think if our personal myth isn't in support of the collective myth then we probably don't really have our personal myth yeah one of the ways I, i i look at it is if a person has truly uh, connected with their authentic personal myth is that their behavior will be a purpose driven yes uh, they'll they'll be living a purpose driven life yes whereas if they haven't they'll still be living a wound driven life yes so like in your example you know when you still were had those wounds were still unconscious from your dad it sounds to me like to correct me if i'm wrong paul but that all that achieving was 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 driven by the wounds it wasn't, oh, yes. it wasn't oh, yeah. driven by vision or or purpose no. it was driven by wounds whereas now you're still an incredible achiever no one yeah. could deny that but it's not being driven by wounds no. that that behavior it's is being, being driven, driven by, by by your calling well, by your by purpose love, yeah. and love exactly and, and, and also the myth right because and, and the myth absolutely when you understand how critical your personal myth is and how intimate it is in relationship to the myth of the whole or the world, then you realize that 
to ultimately fulfill your life path and and fill your heart, you need to be honest with yourself. Yeah. You really need yeah. to be honest with yourself. And that's the hero's journey because yeah. most of the time being honest with yourself means someone's going to get upset at you. Mm-hmm. And it's usually mom, dad, oh, yeah. wife, husband, brother, you, you sister. It. It's yep. almost always the paradox of the people that you have the closest connection to that love you the most that become the greatest yep. resistance to you being you yep. because they want you to be the person they've created you to be instead of who you really are. And that's the hero's journey. That's why you were the hero. You, you have to go off on your own trail. And if you don't have enough intestinal fortitude to stick to your guns and be who you came to be, then you have to suffer the pains of not being that person. And to me, those are, those are actually greater because being who you came to be, oh. you get stronger and more full and more fulfilled no matter how bad it hurts. And the ultimate cost of not doing that is much greater. It's a long, slow death. Yeah. Or a fast the opposite. One. It can be suicide. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really comes down to the, the classic uh, uh, distinction between uh, social acceptance versus living authentically. Yep. And recognizing there is a deeper truth. There's a, the, this deeper myth, this deeper purpose inside of me that needs to be expressed. Yes. If, if I am going to be in integrity with myself as a human yeah. being on planet Earth, if I'm going to find real fulfillment, if I'm going to, which is ultimate happiness and joy, and and if I don't do that, and, and it may disappoint people. There's going to be people out there. I mean, I was just telling my oldest son this. I was like, you know, bud. No matter what you do or where you go, there's going to be people in this life who approve of you and those who don't. Yeah. That's always going to be true. Actually, my old professor Foley told me that years and years ago. And he said, so, so, so what's it going to be? You know, are you going to, are you going to live to please others and, 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 and live that whole lie trying to gain others approval? And still knowing that even that you're you're never going to, you're never going to gain everyone's approval. Even if, even if you try that. Or are you going to live your truth knowing that some people are going to love you for it and some people won't mm-hmm. and, and, and truly be who you are and be in alignment with your calling, alignment with your heart, alignment with soul. You know, that's the only path I, I can, I, I can't imagine not living that. No. And I think, you know, one of the common denominators, like one of the key building blocks of all this that we're talking about, if you don't accept yourself first, if you don't accept responsibility to heal, if you don't accept responsibility to look into your story and see, is it empowering or disempowering? If you don't accept responsibility for making yourself happy, loving yourself and being your own best friend, then you're always going to be in a codependent relationship. Oh yeah. Whether yeah. it be with drugs or yeah. people or the government or money yeah. or whatever. It's, yeah. and, you know, and that that's the opposite of freedom. That's a death stroke to freedom. And the greatest ways I've seen to support people to come into that kind of true love for themselves, uh, again, I mean, going back to the connection with nature and the connection with soul, that when people make that, that when they awaken ecologically, they find themselves loved by the earth. They realize, yes. my God, I am a child of this earth. You know, we've been talking about initiation. The Africans have a saying that uh, the function of initiation is to move someone from the lap of their mother, their human mother, to the lap of Mother Earth. Yes. Meaning that's the individuation process. Yes, it's the it process is. of coming into oneself, of feeling that love externally. Uh, God, I just brought a woman through through Vision Quest uh, a couple months ago. A profound experience 
where you know this is a woman who was traumatized as a girl, really difficult upbringing, um, had done therapy, had done ayahuasca, had done all these different things, and never you know found the relief she was looking for. This was all pretty evident within the first couple of days of our group process prior to the big solo. And when she went out on solo, she had this absolutely incredible experience of, for the first time, feeling love, um, in this case, through this juniper tree that she nice. was sitting underneath. Mm. And she genuinely felt the love of the earth, of Grandmother Earth, through this juniper tree. And so, at first, it was it was kind of externalized, but she carried that with her through the four days and brought that was able to bring that home with her and that feeling of being loved and was able to transfer that internally. Mm-hmm. So it was literally we could say that the tree was actually teaching her yeah. to love herself. Yes. And lo and behold, surprise, surprise, her life has turned upside down in the best way possible. I mean, mm. it flipped a 180 and she's empowered and she's making success and relationships and friendships and work and all of these things are unfolding because she did that very thing because she, she found that love for herself. And, and I, I, the reason I brought that up with her, her example is because Look, I, I'm aware it's way easier said than done. Yeah. You know, when, when I'm imagining again, our listeners, if people are out there sitting there who don't have a lived experience of feeling that in the moment, it's a big deal to, to be feeling that. And I remember the, you know, years ago when that was like that for me. But transformation is possible, change is possible. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what I want people to, to really take from this. Yeah. I think one of the notes I had there was, you know, one of the challenges we have, which this points to, is we externalize our sense of self mm-hmm. into what we do for others or what they do for us or how much money we have or what your favorite football team is and whether they win or lose. Oh, I mean, yeah. You watch how people behave when their team loses. It's like, oh, oh. really? My God, you're a <laughs> three-year-old in a 28-year-old body or something. Seriously. You know, it's just yeah. like, give me a break. But, you know… And that, that's that's a transition too, you know, that's a spiritual transition is bringing your consciousness back into yourself, being present with yourself, and seeing yourself as in relationship to, but not dependent upon yes. this stuff outside of you for your identity. Yes. You know, one of the things I do to help people identify their personal myth is I have key categories of where to look to see the polarities in your life. Nice. What's your belief about God? Yeah. What's your relationship with money? What are your beliefs about sex? Um, what do you, what are your beliefs about mom and dad? What are your beliefs about the people that you don't like? Who are the people you don't like? What's your belief about people of different racial ethnic origins? So I hit all the key pressure points. Great. And say I want you to write down what your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs are about this. And then that shows them exactly where they're polarized. Mm -hmm. And I see that that polarization is an attractive factor. That's a magnetic uh, attractor that draws the very people that you don't like to you so that you can actually come to realize what you're creating by empowering that story. Because if you change your myth and you grow first into yourself, but then see everybody around you as supporting you to realize yourself Mm -hmm. then you say okay those people that drove me nuts actually um only drove me nuts because i had a fixed viewpoint yeah that wasn't even my own it was planted in me right like a good example is my grandparents lived in los angeles 
and they had this real phobia about black people. And one time, um, a black family moved across in across the street from my grandparents, and I was out skateboarding, and I met the boy who was my age, and he was like to ride skateboards. So we were out hanging out riding skateboards. Sure. And I really love this guy. I mean, yeah, got yeah. along like peas in a pod. And I invited him over just to come hang out with me. Yeah. And oh my God, my grandparents came uh, home and the uh, whole energy shifted and they looked like they had seen the devil. And yeah. they said, well, Paul's got to eat dinner now. You're going to have to go home. And as soon as he walked out the door, I just got this whole uh, lecture about yeah. how you never let a black person come in the house and uh, how bad they were. And I'm like- He's my friend. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you know, so they had their own bias, right? And they were trying to put that into me. But I'd already made connection with this kid at the heart. But you see, the point I'm making is is there's a pivotal point oh, in yeah. a child's life where you actually get injected with yes with someone yeah. else's myth, and it can lead you to a lot of pain. And it and look what it's done in the world right now. And I think that's why when we have this experience like when we realize that exactly what the woman the tree loved her well would you walk around saying i'm only going to love a white tree and not a brown tree or you know yeah exactly it becomes so ridiculous ridiculous yeah so i think part of the process is is that we have to find our way back to our center because we're in when we're in our center we're in a place beyond movement we're in a place beyond idea we're in a place of deep connection and once we're in the center, then we can actually start to realize more of who we are. And then we can easily see who we're not, even though we've been told that we're that or we've convinced ourselves or someone else has convinced us. The core issue of our time, I firmly believe, is disconnection, disconnection and separation. Yeah, totally. And especially from nature, soul, self, the deep self. Yeah. And then, of course, other humans. Uh, to close, wh- why don't you... Tell us what it is that you offer and where people can find you to investigate more. Uh, so I've got two organizations. Purpose Mountain is where I would encourage people to start uh, for adults looking at connecting with purpose, vision, soul, exploring their personal myth. Um, and the work I offer there, there's really two big pieces I'm offering right now. One is I offer one-on-one personalized mentoring uh, on, uh, and I, I typically talk about that as purpose discovery work, nature-based purpose discovery work. And then, of course, the Wilderness Vision Quest, which are, are in-person 10-day immersions, uh, typically small group, myself and another facilitator, and we'll take maybe up to 12 people um, for a big 10-day immersion, three days of group work and processing, connecting with nature, mentoring, a big four-day solo, fasting in the wilderness, um, it's it's the deep dive for sure, not for the faint of heart, um, followed by three days of really potent group work um, to support the integration process. I mean, we haven't spoken about that, but that's another big one that is so important to me, Paul, is with transformational work, the importance of proper preparation and proper integration. And yeah, that word is thrown around so much these days. It yeah. just frankly makes me sick. It's the same with plant medicine use. Exactly. Well, yeah. exactly. Um, but I'm I'm very serious about about the proper prep and integration, and we do tons of Zoom calls beforehand and afterwards, and the mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, yeah, so for folks who are interested in 
in purpose discovery, visionary development, vision quest work, check me out at Purpose Mountain. That's www.purposemountain.com. And then for folks interested more on the nature connection side of things, uh, they can check out my wilderness school, which is Twin Eagles Wilderness School. Great. Um, that's up in Idaho, up in Sandpoint, Idaho, where my wife and, and kids and I live. And we've got year-round programming for adults, kids. We do uh, family programs. We do instructor training, youth summer camps, uh, Yeah, father-son program. My wife runs a mother-daughter program. Um, yeah, mentor development, all kinds of good stuff. So that's Twin Eagles Wilderness School, www.twineagles.org. I think today for everybody, but especially young kids, getting back in touch with nature. I think also, too, having those skills really gives you a sense of safety and security oh, that, yeah. that you, can't, oh, yeah. you can't get anywhere else. No, no. That's a very unique yeah. piece. There, there are certain lessons through wilderness survival, through connecting with nature, and, and the vision quest, I, I firmly believe, that just can't be learned anywhere else in life. You know, This is a yeah. unique component of of life on planet earth for us human yeah. beings perfect what a great podcast thank you mm. i really enjoyed oh, it it's it such a pleasure man this is so cool a, connecting with you yeah being hosted here at your home thank you you've got a great thing you've accomplished so much i'm really impressed with thank you with you and your vision and, and what you've done in this life and how many people you've helped and and what an honor it is for me to join you here today well, it's so. my pleasure I, birds of a feather flock together that's right yeah <laughs> it's a uh, it gives me a sense of hope when I realize every time I meet somebody like you that's out there, especially that's act doing fulfilling yeah. the role as a teacher and a yeah. guide, I'm hoping some of you listening are inspired to go study with Tim and then learn how to go off on your own, let him mentor you and, mm. and bring more of this to the world. So I'll close by saying thank you to my sponsors. Thank you to all of you. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I sure did. Mm-hmm. Thank you. To any of you who buys any of the products from my sponsors, it uh, supports the podcast and helps me take the time and energy it takes to find the guests, do the research, and put it all together and pay the podcast team. We can take this world we've got and shine her up and get the soils fixed up and clean the water and stop funding the lost souls that are destroying Mm -hmm. the planet for profit, and we can... Create circles, stand together, sing together, dance together, and make love on a big scale. Yeah. Lots of love. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Tim Corcoran. You can find Tim online at PurposeMountain.com, where you can request his free Purpose Discovery Kit. This is a nature-based approach to finding your life's purpose, even if you're struggling with resistance, fear, or doubt. You can also find more details on Tim's one-on-one mentoring and vision quests. For more information on the Twin Eagles Wilderness School, offering nature and wilderness survival camps for kids, teens, and adults, go to twineagles.org. And don't forget to download Tim's free Edible Wild Plants ebook while you're there. Connect with Tim and the Twin Eagles Wilderness School on Facebook at Twin Eagles Wilderness School, on Twitter at Twin Eagles WS, or visit their YouTube channel at Twin Eagles Org. Catch up with Paul on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at Paul.check, on Twitter at PaulCheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. 
Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Paleo Valley and Organifi and our newest sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links are in the show notes. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.